Hello and welcome to episode 324 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett and Jack Harper. Plenty to get into this week. Arsenal bottled the league last Wednesday. Man City bottled the league on Saturday. Gary Lineker showed sympathy as Nick Pope forgot the laws of the game. The PGMOL decided to isolate their VAR shenanigans to Old Trafford where it's expected anyway. Sun was declared back for the fourth time this season and a midweek fixture for Chelsea meant that Graham Potter was able to lose not only one, but two games since our last recording. First though, TK, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic, Luke. How are you? Oh, well, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's lovely to be great. here. In the winner's enclosure, it's fantastic. Exactly. Uh, Jack, how are um, you doing today? Well... As you well know, I have contracted an illness from witnessing that <laughs> dreadful performance. It has made me physically ill. I have not been able to move all day. But it's testament to how wound up I am that I am still doing the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we aren't performing, uh, performing, recording in person. Uh, you may notice a difference from last week. We've got Jack isolated uh, as far away as possible. And so... Uh, Hopefully, we'll be as crisp as uh, humanly possible. First recording we've done online for a while because I've been recording Movie Madness with Kieran in person as well. So there we go. Plenty to get into, as I said. No news of the week, which tells you just how busy the week is. Now, my timeline was filled with obituaries for the Arsenal 22-23 title race on Wednesday night after a disappointing 3-1 defeat to Manchester City. This marked four games without a win for Arteta's side in all competitions and the words bottled and bottlers were trending on Twitter. If we cover this game first, we'll go in the order of the weekend. Um, Jack, I'm not sure how keenly you were watching this game as Chelsea were playing at the time, so I'll go to TK first. Just as a outward answer, did this feel more like Arsenal losing it or Man City winning it? Uh, it's a good question. Um, no, I think City won it. I didn't think Arsenal were bad. That was the thing. For all the sort of commentary around that game, I thought you were better than you had been in the games against um, Everton and Brentford. It wasn't like you were a disaster. Um, I thought they were just clinical at the right times, which is ironic compared to their performance at the weekend. Yeah, my chickens came home to roost as big game KDB showed up for the first time this season. Uh, he pounced on a Tomiyasu back pass to shin it past Ramsdale. Uh, we'll gloss past this game. So the Eddie penalty, in real time, I didn't really know what the cause was. But after seeing the replay, I, I don't really see how it's a controversial call. I think it's controversial. I mean, I, I watched the games simultaneously, so I've had a keen eye on this. I think it's a controversial call, only that they're never given. Um, like in all intents and purposes, in many facets of the game, it will be a penalty every single time, but it never gets given. So that's the only reason why it's controversial, because <laughs> it's almost like oh, you're picking this opportunity to then to then give it. If we were to pick a similarity, then, and you're actually a good person to ask here because we did one similar. The penalty you got against United at Stamford Bridge 
I believe the similar kind of outline was, okay, well, the, technically this should be a penalty every yeah. time, but we aren't seeing it awarded every time. Yeah, pretty much. <clears throat> and it, that, that is exactly what it is. When the keeper goes in to challenge for the ball, it's almost like that double jeopardy rule comes in. It's like, well, he, he's a keeper, he has to do that. But this wasn't really even a genuine attempt for the ball. We just took him out completely. Like, you would have thought you'd jumped out of the way of it. He tried to do it almost, I'm not moving, so I'm not the wrongful party here. But yeah, he's not even tried to play the ball, which is where your argument kind of goes out the window. Um, Saka duly steps up and continues his streak, and I'm sure this is going to come to a halt in horrible circumstances. Um, but he continues to score every penalty since missing at the Euros. Edison gave it big antics pre-penalty, and you have to save it at that point. If you're going to give it the big chat, kind of like Kepper to Van Dyke in the Carabao <laughs> final, you've got to back your chat. Arsenal were missing Thomas Party, and most fans, myself included, were in a lull pre-game. I thought this game was a write-off before it even kicked off. Actually, this kind of fixture seemed to show the best of Jorginho, who are obviously going to speak about in greater detail later. Yeah, I thought he was really good in this game. I wasn't sure if the stats were going to back that up, but the eye test, he looked really good. One of your better performers, probably. Yeah. In the second half, we had all of the ball, but the quality was lacking. Erdegaard didn't have his best game, I didn't think. I thought his touch was really off. Xhaka, Tomiasu, Zinchenko and Eddie were particularly poor. Before we get to Saturday, because Zinchenko is a feature there as well, I know we get a big kind of narrative. So if Tottenham don't perform well, it's okay. Why didn't Harry Kane drag them through it? If it's whoever, Liverpool, maybe you looked, okay, captain Jordan Henderson, you've got to be dragging your team through. Doing Maybe Henderson's not the best example. But Zinchenko, I don't know if he saw the comments pre-season from Gary Neville saying, you know, he's not a leader, captain of his country, all these things. It seems that he's taken it very personally that he's considered a leader in this team and a very young team. And so it's hard to be too critical because through the Everton, the Brentford game, the City game and and then Villa, he seems to almost be trying to do too much. Like he feels he has to be the one to kind of push everyone on. But in three of those games, it was quite detrimental. Yeah, it's true. And he's kind of coming into that midfield role almost too keenly at times, isn't it? It's a, the thing about him has been that he's been able to strike that balance really well. Uh, as you've said, he's been trying to get on the ball too much maybe. But then when you have a situation where part is out, where Xhaka's not in the same form as he's in, maybe that's always naturally going to happen as well. Yeah, because I don't know if it would be a question if you could kind of give a truth serum to Arteta to get an honest answer because you're never going to get that at this stage of the season. Zinchenko, it seems so obvious when party isn't in there that maybe pre-Jorginho, I'm not too sure now, that he would be the best natural fit in terms of his mobility, in terms of his defensive awareness and just his kind of reading of the game to fulfil that role. And even when we've been struggling in games, it seems obvious, okay, we'll put Tierney at left back and move Zinchenko further forward. He's more mobile, he can drive something. Yeah. And that's never been a thing. So either he's not trusted there, maybe Arteta doesn't see him as being technically as good there. Like, Is it the case, and I don't necessarily agree with this, that he's a good midfielder for a left-back, if that makes any sense at all. No, it does. Or is it that 
he's a good midfielder, which is what we see for Ukraine, obviously. Yeah, it it is odd. It's and maybe it's just level of opposition that Alteta doesn't trust those games for Ukraine as you know as a good enough advert for risking him in a Premier League yeah. midfield, maybe. Because yeah, you're probably right. I think Alteta views him as okay, when he steps into midfield, that looks good for a fullback. That doesn't necessarily make a good midfielder. Not, I guess not too dissimilar with Trent is it on the other side. Um, yeah. And I potentially, because of where you're at in the table in the stage of the season, maybe Alteta doesn't want to risk that. Um, I I personally would give that a go, certainly for spells of games, because it just seems a natural fit, like you said. Yeah, because I can be completely honest. My perception of Zinchenko as a central midfielder is almost entirely based on when I think we got linked to him for the first time and there was the playoff with Scotland and Ukraine. I remember watching Same that story, game. Yeah, I think yeah. I came on here the following Monday and was like, this guy is incredible. Mm. Like, where have we been seeing this guy? And so I naturally just based this, I guess because he's up against someone like John McGinn as well, who we see in the Premier League. It was just a great performance. It's very it? interesting. I mean, it stuck in my mind. It changed yeah. my kind of view of him as a player, really, in, in one game, which isn't great, I know. But... um it was unbelievable. I've never seen him look like that. Yeah. And then before we get to Saturday, um, as I mentioned, the, the bottling it thing was a big narrative here coming into it. If we performed like the Everton game here, I would maybe have understood it, but we inflicted the largest possession differential of Guardiola's Premier League career. Obviously, we have nothing to show for that at the end of it, but I don't think you maintain that level of control if you are bottling it on that occasion um i know there are injuries and whatnot if you you could point out the performance at st james's park at the end of last season and it was tough to argue against that even with the circumstances the occasion got to some players this one it just seemed like ultimately they had harland and rodri where we were missing jesus and party and they capitalized on our errors that's it maybe i guess if people were reaching they might say those two individual errors our example of bottling, I wouldn't say it was. I just take just two mistakes. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, you're gonna have to brace yourself for the rest of the season because any drop, any drop yeah. points are a bottle. I'm afraid it's the way it is. And the, the, the mental thing, and maybe it's because they've obviously been and done it before. I don't see that whenever City have dropped points no, this season. No, exactly. It's just well, they're gonna click at some mm. point. Um, big pressure was there for Saturday. I was with you Friday night. I was less than confident. Um, we knew by Friday that Party wasn't going to feature and we can maybe have a larger discussion on his availability at some point for sure. But this was a big game for the Arsenal midfield. What Louise and McGinn perhaps lack in uh, like tech, they more than make up for in pace and power. And Kamara is kind of a perfect blend of the two with the technique added on. Five minutes into the game, we're 1-0 down. And similar to the previous few games, Zinchenko loses the ball high up the pitch. One pass by Matty Cash and Watkins is playing ISO against Saliba. Like he makes the mistake of not pushing him wide when he has the chance. But this you have to be said, and we've spoken about the many different versions of Ollie Watkins before. Ollie Watkins plays this about as good as he possibly can, and it is a nice finish after all of the work that he does. I mean, Tom Hanks in the crowd looking as shocked as anyone that Ollie Watkins <laughs> is able to do this. He seemed to embody everybody watching it. It's like, how's this guy just done that? He's not going to do this again. Four in four now. Yeah, he's on He's on four. I mean, he is that classic type of player where you could tell with that, he wasn't even thinking. It was a little step over, go past him, 
bang on his left foot, weaker foot into the bottom corner. You go, if he had to think about any of that, it's probably not happening, but he just did it all on instinct because he's got that confidence at the minute. So I think um, Saliba, I assume, has played against Ollie Watkins before because we've played them this season, but I don't know if something happened in that game, if there's something about just getting a feel for the player that early because later in the game, he does very well with Ollie Watkins and just matching him stride for stride. And then the second he takes a heavy touch, he's in to nip it away, come around the corner and pass it out. I don't know if where usually he'd be getting his bearings of how best to manage the situation here. He just doesn't do that. It's the first attack they have. He's caught in two minds and look, we're on the back foot before the game's even started. Mm. And I have to admit, this, the entire season was flashing before my eyes at this point. I was asking myself, has this been worth it? Like, is it worth the good times? <laughs> if at the end of the season, it's just ripped away because I had that quandary last season. Arsenal then found some more success, got back into the game, Beauty, really, from Saka. Um, similar to the positioning he has for the first goal he got for England in the World Cup, where he's kind of loitering on the edge of the area, strikes it first time, and it's past Emi Martinez before he can even think. Other than the guys that are kind of Premier League legends, I've not seen anyone back there chat the way Saka does. Anytime he puts out one of these like apology tweets, the next game he's just on it. And I think that's now nine nine goals, eight assists for the season. Those kind of numbers are like your world-class Premier League all-timer numbers for a winger. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if you can keep it up. His striking of a ball, I think, is one of the clearest examples of how he's improved. When you look at how clean he strikes yeah. a ball now, even probably this time last year, I probably wouldn't have said he can hit a ball like that. We were speaking about it during the World Cup, mm. I would say. Because I remember us going, ah, oh, that's probably his weakest point. I think there was a shot in the, in the USA game, maybe. Yeah, he kind of had that. and not Is this disrespectful? I don't know. But he kind of had that sort of Raheem Sterling thing. Where you kind of sometimes you'd look at yeah, Sterling sort of cut in and you'd be like, I don't really worry that much. Every now and again, he'll ping one. But most of the time, I mean, I'm sure Jack's going to speak from experience there. But um, <laughs> most of the time you look at him and think, oh, I'm, not, I'm not worried about him hitting one. You kind of had that feeling with Saka, but now you're, you're shitting yourself once he cuts in. And it's it's another game of him being booted to the moon and back. It's it's insane the the beating that he takes. I was convinced him on three occasions because he goes down in games and he usually gets up, he walks off, whatever. I was convinced he was going off about three times in this game with the length of time he was down, <laughs> the kind of bangs he was taking. I don't know what strapping they put on his leg, but it did the trick, whatever it was. It must be quite like demoralizing to get yourself into the mind space of nine you're just gonna get i had it for quite a few years with hazard where he would just get kicked constantly and he would take photos of his socks like after the game and we'll be cutting <laughs> blood all over him and he's and it, getting that treatment for sure saka and if you don't complain then you don't get the calls if you do complain you get called a whinger grealish seems to escape it from more corners than you'd expect but if you look at say the treatment Zaha gets from the kind of general reaction to him when he calls for a foul he's the most fouled player in the league every single season Zaha and so it must be incredibly frustrating particularly as you don't know when you're going to get up the pitch again in, in Crystal Palace's side referees when you look at how quickly they'll punish some things and then 
Moreno, some of these tackles that he was getting away with were just bizarre. The the week before against City, that Bernardo Silva can get away with four tackle, four fouls before getting any kind of punishment. It makes no sense, but then most of the referees in this country don't make much sense. The, the Bernardo one, I thought he made a rod for his own back by not... The first challenge, I think, was the yellow card. I think the couple after that were just niggly little fouls that were nothing. But by that point, he set a stall out that, well, if that isn't a yellow card, this probably can't be. Yeah. And then eventually, what was it, his fourth one, he eventually gets it. Yeah. And then, Tika, I, I know you were very impressed with Villa's second, which uh, rewarded Emery for playing his two technicians together. Yeah, because I'll admit, I'd have been a bit sceptical about playing Buendia and Coutinho against Arsenal. Um, yeah, that, that dummy from Buendia was just out of this world. I mean, he probably won't do anything like that for the rest of the season. It's the bad news for Villa fans, <laughs> but that's... Yeah, top draw. When you go back, what, two and a bit years? And the discussion that it was a real debate on Arsenal Twitter is Buendia or Odegaard and then Madison or Odegaard. The fact that we come out of that trio with Odegaard, who at times is probably the least popular option. And probably the least expensive. What was Buendia being talked about? Yeah. Like just slightly yeah. more. Madison was about double. We, we had a bid for more than what we put in for Odegaard because we didn't know if he was going to be available rejected before we get him there is a um, there is a fun alternative universe where you get Madison instead of Odegaard just to see how that would look because yeah. Madison is great fun to watch so I'd, I'd, I think he'd be great so but Odegaard's obviously unbelievable the Buendia one I seem to remember at the time saying to you maybe don't get quite so excited about every player you get linked with <laughs> like he's like he looks a good player I don't know if he's an Arsenal player those championship numbers look legit yeah yeah. he set the record didn't he for the most chances created in a championship season and then so uh, did like Jason Kumar once upon a time <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Arsenal get back into it on 62 minutes with Zinchenko's first ever Premier League goal some horrible defending by Villa like I know they actually went out with the FA Cup where the goal conceded from a short corner. And so the with the frequency we were doing them, that was clearly something that we'd picked up on. Maybe don't lump the ball onto Tyrone Mings's head and then you have a <laughs> bit more creativity that you can do. And it worked. Because I don't know how you allow someone, no matter who it is, you usually have at least someone that is just going to charge down the guy just so he doesn't get bollocked by his manager after. And Zinchenko, they let it slide onto his right foot and he hits the ball in the only place he can really hit it. Yeah, I guess it's TV. I'd say, I think you look at quite a few Villa players and you think concentration is probably an issue there. You kind of think, how much are you yeah. focusing on this? Also, I guess I was surprised it's Zinchenko's first goal. When you considered like, the technique he's got, you would have thought you'd have had a few more instances of like a shot like that. Yeah. So. Well, one of the journalists who was at the Everton game said, it looked mental kind of from our perspective, the amount of shots he was taking. In the warm-up, you know, every team does the one where you have the guy on the edge of the area, you do the pass, one touch, Bang. and shot from the edge of the D. So Zinchenko was just putting it top bins, top bins, top bins before Everton, and he must have gone into it feeling himself. And then, like me at plot court, the more you score in the warm-up, the less chance you're having <laughs> when you get to the game. From here on out, it was a cooking. There was two big chances for Villa, very big chances for Villa squeezed in. But it's like 200 extra passes from us. Odegaard sets a record for Arsenal that was last broken in 2017 for big chances created. 
just so happens Enketia was up front on this occasion. And Jack, this is all down to one man. Jorginho's control allowed us to really squeeze onto a team like we've not done since beating United. Erdegaard was playing more freely and J2O, as we can call him here, <laughs> his mixture of kind of lofted balls um, over the centre-back into the channel and these fizzed balls into Saka's feet were just finding him repeatedly. And something, I mean, you weren't prepared to give this up really when we were doing our deadline day pod. He's far more progressive than he gets credit for. I think, I mean, if you take him out of an inform um, attacking, if you take him out of a an out of form unit where no one's no attackers in form, nothing's gelling, and put them into a unit where they're scoring goals for fun and really kind of rocking and rolling the season, I guess that's what you're going to see. And yes, maybe Chelsea weren't getting the best out of him because it's not. It wasn't just on him, but he wasn't the right player for us to get us better. Whereas now it's just even worse. But if you, like I said, if you put them into a unit where everything's gelled up front, they know what they're doing, what the roles are. Those lofted balls, like behind the centre backs or into the channels, find someone. Whereas at Chelsea, they just don't, and they make Jorginho look shit more than he actually was being shit potentially. I saw him described as the metronome at the base of Arsenal's midfield. He played seventy-one accurate passes. I don't know what the difference is there in terms of. Uh anything else particularly accurate ones um he just was taking the ball from the defenders and funneling it to the forwards and i will say we did see his inefficiencies here there's a break in the first half when mcginn goes through it's actually pathetic from Xhaka with uh, the way it's defended uh, i believe he was dispossessed more times than any arsenal player and so party is very much he kind of sweeps in and around that kind of uh like a curve in front of the Arsenal defence. And Jorginho can't do that. So there's more of an onus on whoever the two eights are to hold posi- hold possession better. I think the back line maybe is a couple of yards deeper, which is maybe how we find ourselves in a situation like we do at the start of the game. But while we're on the ball and we're chasing it here, he was just red hot in a way that I don't think any Arsenal fan expects it. I look back, he wasn't a fringe player at Stamford Bridge quite in the way we were sold this season. He started 15 of 20 league matches before he moved across to Arsenal. He had gone out of the team, obviously, just before the move. He's far more creative than Party. Party is he's far safer in there. He's a better disruptor. And I do think Party will come straight back into the side um, when he breaks through. But if Xhaka continues playing the way he does, I wouldn't be surprised if we tried Jorginho in that left eight because it's not like the pace gap is huge between him and Xhaka like we're going to be missing out on something it's uh, it's going to be very interesting Jorginho has averaged 75 passes a game in an Arsenal shirt since he's come across the highest of anyone in the side out of possession he's doing just enough we're going to need the variety if we're going to win the league this season he's offering that maybe we weren't correct to be biting off the manager's head so soon but then I did text Jack and say look hopefully this wasn't his William versus Fulham game yeah. <laughs> but he has had two of them now but we'll get to the moment the moment that we've all been waiting for oh, I phoned Jack and he wasn't as enthusiastic as I was which uh, shocked me actually 
Yeah, you- I downloaded the game again to watch the second half again last night. I went with the B in commentary. Half time, by the way, is Richard Keyes picking apart every time Arteta leaves the technical area <laughs> and just pointing and going, they got him there. They got him there, Andy. Um, and at the end of the game, he says, you know what? I think he may have a right to celebrate today. <laughs> if it's okay with you, Richard. <laughs> Andy Townsend is on commentary here and he says he's with Jim, who I can only assume is Jim Beglin. Not sure if any of you can yeah, I think confirm so. if he's still about. Andy Townsend says on being commentary, and he really wants a moment here. He says, this game is set up for one of the most dramatic late winners of the season. Jack, you kept a lot of things secret with Jorginho. You kept this one very secret. Martinelli down the left, tries to beat the fullback. No joy. J2O in the middle of the field, screaming for the ball with the confidence of a man that knows there is a higher power ready to carry this ball into the back of the net. The ball is spinning away from him. He strikes it against the spin of the ball, outside of the boot, fizzes towards the top corner. And this is how you know that either God has a sense of humour or the game is scripted like those Twitter threads we were seeing. Cannons off the bar, bounces off the head of that time-wasting clown in Emmy Martinez and falls in the bottom of the corner. When I tell you I screamed, <laughs> where the hell has this come from? He was doing roulette spins in the midfield earlier in the match. <laughs> when I got home from the game last week, I'd not eaten all day, and I loaded up Gloss Grill and Justy, and I thought, do I have a double wrap? Do I have a double burger? And I thought, I'm ordering everything. <laughs> Jorginho is playing like a man that has been suppressed for too long and he is just giving us the catalogue. I've never seen anything like that strike before. I'll probably never see anything like it again. If Jorginho was asked to do that again and you gave him 500 tries, he is not putting the ball in that position again. Thankfully, he does it at the right time. Yeah, I think if you look at the way he's been used at Chelsea, he has been used as the deep-lying kind of the mopper, essentially. The link between the defence and the midfield, yes, but also because Kante's had such a poor run with injuries and Kovacic is usually seen as the more progressive one, he has been left in some pretty vicarious situations where if he loses the ball trying to do those roulette spins, he's the last one in the midfield and then it's a complete attack on our defence. Yeah. I don't think he'll be under that much pressure at Arsenal because you've got Xhaka and Party when he's fit to do that job for them in that system and the system's slightly different um, maybe it's recency bias the fact that we haven't seen the best of Jorginho because of Kante being injured so spottily say it quietly you've not won a game since he left that's nothing special mate. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm we, just we, doing the maths we've won two games in 18 I don't <laughs> think that's the reason I was, said in midweek we'd not won a game I was going to say that seemed a significant stat use of these stats <laughs> someone who has far more time than me added up the amount of time that Emi Martinez had with the ball in his hands if we're going to talk about time wasting here five minutes and 21 seconds (laughs) in the second half we had six minutes added on and we had a head injury in there we had a VAR call we had two goals three goals ridiculous Um, Jim Beglin by the way who must have been waiting for this moment, he yells out when the Jorginho goal goes in, it's the thriller at the Villa. (laughs) 
Were any of you asking for offside here? That's what I want to know. I think you got away with one. I'll be honest. Yeah. I was close to tears when I heard them say, they're checking it here. I thought that little move that Arteta did, mocking the ref, which has blown up far more than I anticipated. I thought they've seen that on the broadcast. <laughs> they might be getting one back here. We used up our apology pass from the FA with that Enketia penalty. If they'd ruled this out, I'd have been out the window. <laughs> yeah, but objectively as a football fan, I didn't really want it ruled out. Knowing how your reaction would be, I wanted it ruled out. <laughs> so, wow, wow, cheering on City, which is no, I don't know. You can root for that. Kind not of cheering on City, more cheering on your uh, demise. Because look, I would have had best of both worlds because you would have been apoplectic and City would have dropped points. So I, I'd have been winner winner. I think. I think we shook them. I think if we don't win there, I think they wrap City, wrap Forest up. Yeah, I'm not sure how they didn't, but um, yeah, you're probably right. We we found out that the data analysts were scrapping, by the way, and that's now being investigated by the FA. <laughs> Incredible. We're going to end up with as many FA charges as City by the end of the season. The nerds were throwing hands. So they say you have the press box basically and the data analysts are allowed in the box where they can chop up clips and they can get it ready for half time or whatever. And I mean, I think people are very sensitive as it is, but in the press box, regardless of the fact that most Arsenal reporters begin as Arsenal fans and Villa the other way, you're supposed to be completely level, no celebrations, just deadpan, whatever. The Arsenal analysts and the Villa analysts obviously don't abide by those rules for the most part. I don't know how, if you're a part of the club, you can be expected to not lose your head when the ball has bounced off Emmy Martinez's head in the 92nd minute. But apparently the Villa guys took exception and uh, the stewards had to come in and break things up. That does seem like asking for trouble, putting them in that situation. Yeah. I thought you were going to say um, Martinez, like, shit, I was really spread to the data analyst staff of Villa. They were smashing, smashing <laughs> up the Arsenal laptops. Oh, fucking have that, you. Oh, the last thing's here with this game. Villa get a late corner, and I was utterly convinced this was going in. Uh, did my usual jinx, which paid off again. Um, I was head down, eyes averted, Facing the pillow like I'm on some other kind of set. Blimey. All I'm hoping for is that I'll just hear straight into the palms around Ramsdale. But Tyrone Mings, I was convinced all game, had this look in his eye. We've been garbage on set pieces recently. I've got PTSD, post-Tony stress disorder. <laughs> and I'm in a world of trouble. They took an age to take it, which was making it worse. And finally I hear, and the counter-attack is on, Fabio Vieira, who was involved at both ends more than we'd like, actually, that does what he does. Maybe an easy comparison. I know we got the Bernardo Silva comparisons before we signed him. I think if you're going to compare him to uh, Portuguese, he's probably far more like uh, Bruno Fernandes in the way that it's a goal or an assist or nothing at all. Mm. Like he doesn't strive to control the game or connect for the team. He is just end product. It can go the opposite way, obviously, in the Brentford game. This time, I mean, so it's not the most difficult of passes, but the composure to take the stride at the pitch, wait to the right moment, and then free Martinelli. 
his celebration before Martinez put it in the net was a joy to watch. He gets his burners on. Mings is given up. Any issue with the uh, early celebration? Gabby Agbon Lahore was fuming. After years of being tortured by uh, Bobby Firmino, no-look shots, I quite liked being on the end with the right end of this one. I thought it was a lovely tribute to Ross Barkley. I think we all agreed on that. Why don't, was I alone in thinking that he had one of those that he missed? Yeah, he has missed one. I can't remember if it's worse or for everything, but he does So I was convinced of this. I went to search for it today. All I could find was an edit that someone has done of editing the one he scores for Everton against Bournemouth, and it's chopped up to make it look like he hits the post. <laughs> I can find no evidence of him missing one. Is that a Mandela effect? Mandela. We- yeah. So, so there's multiple people in the comments of this saying, remember when Ross Barkley missed one? But there's no evidence of it. I can't find anything on it other than people claiming they saw it. This is proper Mandela effect territory. Because I was convinced, like utterly convinced. I tweeted at the time, remember when Ross Barkley missed mm. one of them? And I was thinking, was it for Chelsea or was it against Chelsea or what was it? The problem but with Chelsea I, and Everton I can't is find it. on the cards that he could miss that for either of them. It's just two clubs <laughs> yeah. that that would definitely happen to. And even if you go on YouTube, there's an auto search of Ross Barkley celebrating and missing, but there's no video for it other than this chopped up. Ross Bartley managed to get it destroyed. (laughs) He managed to get the tape destroyed. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but something to think about. Um, I mean, I would have been fuming if he'd missed because they definitely would have gone up the other end and scored if that was the case. But no, lovely. There were a few moments, I thought, where this game could have turned. In, it's only the 92nd minute, by the way, that Duran has that break where only Vieira's back. And he doesn't engage him. And you see Erdegaard screaming at him and he engages at the last minute and he hits it straight at Ramsdale. There's the Leon Bailey run down the touchline where we've pressed everyone forwards for a court for a short corner. Martinelli, I think, is dispossessed. And Ramsdale tips it onto the bar. Do you think Arsenal should be concerned at that or is that just part and parcel when you're chasing a game and you're not satisfied with only a point? No, I think that's... It was an end-to-end game, wasn't it? It was great. It was an exciting game. And yeah, sometimes so. it, the atmosphere of those games, it kind of goes like that. We've had plenty. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be massively concerned. You have plenty of chances yourself. I know... Eddie's coming for stick for a couple of his ones, but I, I thought the Odegaard miss was an absolute oh. horror oh. show. I mean, it won't go down as like a miss of the season, but it's actually worse than some of the ones you see because you know some of those ones that are like a yard out. It's kind of, it's you got to put it in, but sometimes it is that it's bobbled up or they've drilled it at him or whatever. You go, <laughs> we've probably all at whatever level you've played, I've probably had a miss like it where you thought, oh, fuck me, how's this happened? But his one, it was like on his left foot, perfectly timed, perfectly weighted. And to drag it like he did, with the, obviously the technique he's got, I thought was an absolute yeah. horror show. And if you didn't win that game, he would have been coming away thinking, this is on me. What I did think was impressive, and it should be the way anyway, was that he didn't allow the moment to swallow him up. And I sure. actually thought he got better after he missed mm. that. Um, also, Eddie's game looks completely different if he has an assist, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, when you see the the ratings and things, we're praising that, and that would have been immediately two two three two. 
yeah, he looked like he was already ready to be up all night thinking about it, and so was I. Mm. I think I tweeted something unkind about him, but didn't ask him, which is probably the better <laughs> thing to do. Not too unkind. I think I said, you're stupid idiot, which I think was fair in the circumstance. I was having a rough morning. It was more polite than what Jack was tweeting. Right. Though, so. <laughs> Last thing on this. It's not surprising that Emery doesn't want a goalkeeper going up. He's a very risk-averse manager. But one minute after Zinchenko scored, he took off Coutinho. Five minutes later, he takes off Buendia and Luis. Ten minutes later, he takes off Ollie Watkins. In contrast, Arteta removed Xhaka for Vieira and we nearly paid the price. That's just how tight things are. But this felt like Emery going through all the old classics that we saw from his time at Arsenal. Yeah, because on paper, you would look at that in isolation. You go, Villa against Arsenal probably makes some level of sense. But knowing Emery's history of kind of just going too conservative and ultimately throwing games away. It is odd that it's one of those ones where a manager just isn't learning from his mistakes, but not to quite the same extent, but Rafa would do the same, where it'd be like cautious Rafa kind of became shitting himself Rafa. And you kind of, there is a line where you've got to, even if you're a pragmatic manager, you've got to figure it out. Remember the Champions League, he was three up against you and then he took all his attackers off and then obviously you come back and batter them second half. Yeah, yeah, it feels a bit of an unfair stick to beat him with, considering. But yeah, against the backdrop, there's a balance there. Uh-huh. There's a balance, yeah. which is what he can't seem to find. Yeah. Now, Jack, we'll we'll get on here. Um, Graham Potter is adamant that he is not the problem at Chelsea, <laughs> despite admitting that a home defeat against Southampton was a step back. A James Ward-Prowse free kick was enough to get them over the line as Chelsea failed to score for the fourth time in their last five games. Chelsea are now in 10th and as far behind Tottenham Hotspur, 11 points in fourth place as they are ahead of West Ham, who are in the final relegation position. Jack, Graham Potter has two wins in his last 15 games. At what point did Chelsea need to start looking down rather than up? I think most of us are already looking down. That's genuinely. The problem is, if you're a team that's scoring plenty of goals but then have a leaky defence, you feel that that's like reparable. You feel that that's something you can work with. We're a team that cannot score goals. So even if, if we concede the first goal, I've said this, I don't know how many times I've said this on this podcast over the last year, but if we don't score first then we don't win. That's how bad we are at scoring goals. Um, and I think Potter has to sh- like shoulder a lot of the blame here for it, for, for obvious reason- reasons. I mean, I think he took us over, after, obviously after took or leave in, and we're in fifth. We're three points behind Newcastle in fourth with a game mm-hmm. in hand. We Fast forward 10, no, 11 games... <laughs> He's picked up 10 points from 11 games. That's outrageous. That's so bad. <laughs> and you can't sit there and say, oh, well, injury is this, injury is that. Tuchel had the same amount of injuries last season and he got us into the Champions League spaces. Can I um, say, I, I phoned Jack immediately after the Arsenal game finished. Um, as I say, wasn't as happy as I was. I thought he'd be happy for his ex-player. Obviously not. Um <laughs> after he tried to get me off the phone three times and I hung about, I effectively said, I mean, you're obviously going to win today. And (laughs) if you don't, 
then obviously they're going to sack Graham Potter. You're not going to lose to Southampton. <laughs> um, Jack at that time said, look, if we lose today, get Nathan Jones in because it can't get any worse. Let's have some fun with it. I look about, what, about half an hour in? The noise I made was close to the noise I made when Jorginho <laughs> put us 3-2 up. What the hell is going on? <laughs> well, we looked at it and we're, we're all sat there watching it, obviously, and um, they hadn't done anything all game and neither had we. And we were like, right, it's on, a, it's on a knife edge now. We have to get a goal before half time. And then what do you do? You go and give away a free kick on the edge of the area. To the, the, the only way this team can score is through James Ward-Prowson's free kicks. And you knew it was... That was the only thing. Painfully naive, wasn't it? When you look at the free kick and get away, you're like, come on. <laughs> James yeah. Ward-Prowse territory. Yeah, and you think like of all the worst places you could do it just before half time, it's ridiculous. And then from that moment, you just knew that we were creating absolutely nothing whatsoever. And people say, oh, this is... Chaz haven't got a number nine. You haven't got someone sticking it in there. I'm sorry, that's such lazy journalism, I feel, because... It's far more deep-rooted than that because we are not creating the chances that that supposed number nine would even put away. It's not like we've got... We're missing a plethora of chances every half. The Dortmund game like aside where we should have scored at least three. But apart from that, against West Ham, against teams that we've played just in February alone, there hasn't been a time where you look at it and you think, oh yeah, they should have had a striker because he would have put that away. We're not creating anything for the strikers to put away in the first place, and that's our problem. That has been our problem for about two years. It's got to the point now where we don't score very often, to a point where we just do not score full start. We scored one goal in February. We scored, played four games. It's that's just that's so bad. And Potter has a shoulder the blame for this because he's regressed worse with more money injected than Tuchel from when he took over. And the problem, I keep saying this to people that will listen. I'm pretty certain people are getting bored of me saying it now. But Potter is a great manager of of a team of players that look like not massive names, want to perform well so they can get get their next big move. When he's faced with a team full of stars or high profile or high money targets that are in a team, knowing that they've got no chance of winning anything this season, he hasn't got the personality to be able to keep to, to cope with that. It's not like a Klopp where Liverpool have had poor seasons where they're languishing around where we are now and this season alone. But you still back Klopp because you know that right. It's a it's a player. It's a te- it's a it's a team issue here because Klopp's tactics or man management isn't to be questioned here because of previous examples. We're getting worse. Mm. We're not getting better. There's no signs of progression. Dortmund was a shining light in a in a month of shit, and we still managed to lose that one. I, so it's it's interesting what you say about the performance because obviously we've only been able to go by. I've seen the extended highlights of the game. The match report from the Athletic and it's from a Chelsea reporter say the first half of Chelsea's display against Southampton ranks as one of the worst since Potter replaced Thomas Tuchel as head coach in September. They were lucky that they were only one down at the interval. I looked at the match stats. Southampton had more possession, more attempts on goal, more shots on target, more fouls won, goalkeepers made less saves, 
more passes completed, more tackles, more attacks. Is this just first half? Just, and that's only the first. That's only the first. I was going to say because I did feel like only from the highlights that Chaz did rack up some chances in the second half. I just remember thinking, it, look, if I just saw this game, I'd go four. Sterling's been unlucky not to get two goals here, hasn't he? Two cleared off the line or whatever. But kind of building on the rest of Chelsea's season, on the rest of his season, how unlucky is it? Is it or is it just you've got to score? But Potter is yet to field the same starting lineup in any of his games in all competitions at Chelsea since he took four. over. It took the number of changes Potter has made to his starting lineup to 67 in 17 Premier League matches. He then made six substitutions in the second half, one of those being a concussion substitution. How much is this the issue that if you've got these new players, you at least need to have some familiarity in at this stage of the season when you're playing a game, what as Chelsea are every three, four days, they need, they need to do it on the pitch because they aren't going to be training together in, in those kind of intense drills frequently. Agreed. And they're not, and you can tell that it's just a, I hate using this term because it's overused, but a team of individuals where no one, there's no cohesion whatsoever. You've got Enzo trying to play brilliant balls to no one because he hasn't realised yet that we don't have anyone in those positions. Havertz is absolutely shocking. And I'm, <laughs> I'm at the end of, end of my tether with him now as well, where, well, if you're not a nine, you don't fit into the system. Fuck off, because he's doing my edit. can't on, do anything. Can't do anything right. A question I'll have it for you in terms of looking to the summer, and I don't need to fear anything. In terms of sellable assets, that I mean, you're not going to sell Enzo. You're not going to sell Mudrick. Is he probably the highest value asset that you currently have? Yeah, for some reason, because you can. He's given you opportunities to see that he can do something. The goal against Salzburg. The goal against England for Germany. Like he's got quality in his locker. Um, but he's just so brain dead. Like he's not footbally like, clever. There's, there's, a, there's a couple of instances against Dortmund where he had the run on the defenders and just needed to push it wide. He ended up cutting in and running into three players and losing the ball. And it's like, well, if you're not going to be a target man, even though you're six foot two or three, whatever he is, and you're not going to be sensible with the ball at your feet, then what are you? And if you don't score regularly, what is the point? What What is your game? Tell me how we can make this better for you because it's not working. Honestly, well, it's just, it's the most frustrating bunch of players to watch I've ever seen. Mudrick is two games away from getting that unwanted 007 graphic on Sky Sports. Um, admittedly, we're relying on highlight packages, but he really does stink so far. Those one-touch passes while Azpilicueta is on his way to the upper room were comical. Yeah, he's useless. Like, he had a good cameo against Liverpool because he's fast in Liverpool player high line and he was against James Bill. And that game was just like, so bereft of any quality that all you had to do was look vaguely like a footballer coming on, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, Exactly. I, I, if we go back that number of weeks, I did ask Jack if he's confident now that they finish above Liverpool and he was quite confident I mean, in saying yes. No, I, I said, with the amount of money that we spent, we just have to, surely. And in fairness, before these last two games... You go back, you say, then Liverpool. Before well, these yeah. last two games, you'd say, we've both looked dreadful, but at least they've, you know, rolled the dice on these players that you'd go, well, something should happen in the second half of the year, which... I don't think you could say about Liverpool looking at that team, but yeah. 
I'm defending Graham Potter in the barbershop to a, a Chelsea fan. I'm getting cooked. <laughs> to be fair, he's, to bat he's not guy. giving you much to work with, is he? I said I'd still take him over Ten Hag. I stand by that. Say <laughs> with your chest. I am. Um, with a squad packed full of international players, Jack, 500 million spent just for the 18 million time of you hearing that. The assumption is that you are just going to turn it around where the evidence on the pitch is telling us anything but. Yeah, it's almost like people are waiting. Like, oh, it's going to click. Oh, it's going to click. And then we're sleepwalking into a relegation battle, for fuck's sake. <laughs> like, I'm not being... Like, 11, 10 points gained in 11 games. Is, that has, I can't get my head around how bad that is and why... I think if Potter wasn't an English manager... I genuinely think he'd be getting a lot more shit from the media. He'd be getting dragged, wouldn't he? I think he's, I think he's yeah. getting a fair. Bit, I think he's started to now. He doesn't. I think. Part, I know that he well, doesn't no, give people, you anything back. So no, people, when you get at Arteta, he was biting back, and that you could then write the headline on him biting yeah. back at you. Potter doesn't indulge you in that. No, but with that, with that, is that he then gets worse questions, like more provocative questions. Yeah, they're trying to wind Whereas, him up now. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. And it's not a case of, oh, we actually do this because we think you're bad with doing this because let's see how, how horrible a question we can ask and get away with it. Like, the one the other day was that you are now statistically the worst Chelsea manager in history. <laughs> like, how the fuck you ask? How can a reporter go into a press conference and feel that you can get away with asking that question to a top six manager? They do can it. Imagine, to, they imagine, do right? It. Imagine if that gets asked to Mourinho or Alex Ferguson. They're, they're walking down from that bench and ripping that reporter's head clean off. The reporter says hand. the club has well, been like nice weather today, and he's saying, "No, it's fucking not." <laughs> yeah, it is exactly like. Oh yeah, well, I'm rather annoyed the weatherman. <laughs> like that's the kind of response that you'd expect to get. From this, where it's like he looks at him and like centers himself. Like, no, Graham, I want you to fucking lose your head a little bit. Start throwing some tables around. The quest- yeah. The questions are the equivalent, and the way they frame it to Klopp is they they quote someone else or they say it's being quoted as. And I believe one of the questions to Potter was, "Some Chelsea fans are now saying, and it's like, who are you quoting? Yeah, don't be snide. And yeah, it's just an easy way to get the get the question across. I mean." You got beaten by a no-manager bounce, which is quite incredible. The clip of uh, Reese James looking over his shoulder while that bloke in the crowd screams, this ain't yeah. proper, Chelsea. <laughs> it is funny. It's hilarious. Yeah, it is funny. I mean, we've <laughs> Southampton have taken six points of us. That is great. Reese James just has such a funny face in terms of anytime he's not laughing, he just looks so concerned. Yeah, constantly. Are we, are we just assuming now that Chelsea let it play out, avoid Europe, yeah. go again next year? Because what with yeah. in our yeah. shoes, and well, that's what I'm yeah. saying. So the 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 uh, comparison is constantly. Well, you know, Arsenal did this, and now this is happening. The board remained convinced that Arteta was that guy. I don't know if they feel the same at Chelsea, but they kind of they paid twelve million to get him out of his contract. Then a contract on top of that that you'd have to pay him off for seven year contract. <laughs> I think I think the fact is that they're looking out there. And if Zidane came out today and said, "You know what? If Chelsea want me, I'll go to Chelsea," then things I may move very quickly. But I, I genuinely would rather go into the game without managing it. Like, <laughs> he's that poor, and he, and he doesn't. 
like, like I said, he hasn't shown us anything to the contra- contrary of this. People have fallen back on the goal we... The, no, the miss that Aubameyang missed where we taught Salzburg apart. Brilliant. If that's what we're using, we really are in the doldrums. That was also about four months ago. Like, there's nothing since that Salzburg game that's proven to us that we can actually play football, apart from Dortmund, where we looked like we should have scored more, um, but then we conceded on the break, and it is what it is. But apart from that Dortmund game, which we lost 1-0 to a shaky Dortmund team, that's what people are hanging their the joint house on. They're joint top of the Bundesliga, to, to be fair. Hey? They're joint top of the Bundesliga, to be fair. No, I know, but you look at the amount of investment that we've spent. Yeah. And how many chances well, we've had. Well, you should be there. beating anyone in, in that well, case. But this, well, this is it. So a 1-0 loss against Dortmund is what people are using to save Potter's job, which is just outrageous. Did you enjoy the tweets about uh, Chelsea amortising their wins over eight years as well? <laughs> no, I didn't see that, but brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean... Just... Your, your elation at the start of this podcast is just making you even worse. <laughs> well, well, I, I, thought this, hearing, this I thought hearing the Jorginho chant would maybe get you going a bit... like. There's some basketball fans who they don't support a team, they support LeBron. And I'm if you want to, I'm prepared to let you support Jorginho. <laughs> now there's a plenty of Chelsea fans or Chelsea Twitter accounts that were exactly that. The J five. <laughs> that is bizarre. I can't blame them. I can't blame them. Like they they've moved over to Arsenal now. I followed one just because he wound me up so much. I wanted to see what he's tweeting. And he's actually now changed his Twitter to like an, an Arsenal supporting so thing. I'd uh, I'd prepared here uh, before that clan put out his article but Matt Law has obviously been briefed by the club because he's put out a five point article on why Chelsea is sticking with Graham Potter it does seem like he's not going anywhere are you at a point where you can just completely disassociate do you have that in the locker are you going to continue going to games are you at a stage where you're going to no longer just uh, where you've just been beaten down like this you're not going to shout and scream it's just Brilliant. I think it. I think I'm there. Like I'm going to Chelsea now as a social to see my pals, and like we almost forget the game. Like, I promise you, <laughs> I say that for the for the Fulham game, I was talking to the guy next to me for pretty much the whole of the first half because he was more interested in the game was. And then, like obviously, I've got tickets for the Everton game. And I'm just there like that. It's got a horror oh, show. Dyke should be licking his lips about. How the hell would you cope, by the way, if you supported any other team? Because Chelsea have been the most successful team in England since Abramovich yeah. took over. Yeah, been a dry and, watch like, within one season, you're oh, like crying yeah. your eyes out. Is, is, is it one season, really? I mean, how, how long I, ago did you win the Champions League? Yeah, well, there is that. But then, if we won the, the league Franks- this season, and it's I don't think it's going to happen, I don't think I would no, complain no. for five years. I reckon it would no, change if you want about- to me lately. Yeah. It's, it's all about being in the trenches with the manager and making sure that he's the right fit and, and being entertained when you go to games. Like, say what you want about Frank. I was entertained by his games. We conceded a fuckload of goals, but I was entertained when we actually ended up scoring. Um, I think he should bring I, Frank back in. I, I would genuinely either take Frank or Jose round three and just sit there and just watch <laughs> the fireworks. The Jose thing is doing the rounds. I don't know how feasible that is, or maybe if, no. whether it would help that the, the like, same people aren't there that sat Jose. No, I think basically it's been it's doing the rounds because like, why not? We've got nothing else to lose. But when you actually boil it down to being a workable thing, 
the players that we have do not fit into how Mourinho would want to play. It'd be completely going back on the whole project in inverted commas that they've started to build. So it's not going to happen, but it's not going to stop us from shouting for him. Last thing before we let Jack go, uh, TK. I messaged Jack on uh, Saturday and said, look, there was this big thing when Graham Potter was at Brighton and it was, look, get Brighton a striker and look what's going to happen. Graham Potter's being let down because he's got Neil Mope up top. That point is aged very well. Are we now reflecting on everything differently? Is, is everything now up in the air because his Chelsea side is failing to score goals as well? Do you want me to answer that? Okay, sorry. I was just going to say, I mean, yeah. the Potter-Mope divorce, I mean, it's like a breakup, like uh, Johnny Depp and what's the face? I mean, it's, no one came off too well in this. It's not gone well for Potter. It's not gone well for Mope. It's, I don't. I think the biggest concern I'd have about Potter at Chelsea is that he seems like he's got no plan. That was evidenced by the fact that he keeps changing that team. I would have thought, even if it didn't work at Chelsea, it was just that, that he had his plan, but couldn't deal with the egos or they wouldn't buy into his coaching, which now they're going to go, as Jack kind of touched on, if they end up out of the Champions League, these players are going to go, we've got nothing to play for this season. Why are we going to listen to this guy try and coach us? And... That's the situation he's kind of found himself in now. Um, last thing, Jack, so I know you do need to go. Um, I meant to share this with you earlier. We had Peter Drury's commentary previously on a podcast that uh, you weren't on. If I could just give you the Arabic commentary from uh, Jorginho's goal, sake. I think it would really make your day. <laughs> Incredible. I would love I would love to see kind of like Martin. I want him on over Martin Tyler. Tyler just shouting God, God, God. Yeah, just God, 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 God. There's one the French commentary from Saka's going, he's going, Sacre! <laughs> there we go. I love how pumped you are by this win that you've gone and searched for all of different. I told you co- at commentaries at half time, oh, I was questioning everything. Well, it's healthy that you're so invested now that they did win. That's good. That's, I don't see any possibility of this coming crashing down around you. All right. Now that we have you back, we will move on to Liverpool. Jack obviously wasn't as impressed as most others were with Liverpool's performance on Saturday. Before the weekend started, this looked like the game to watch. Uh, I don't think if you were predicting that something was going to happen in Arsenal-Villa, it was probably that Villa were going to nick something rather than it being an end-to-end 4-2 kind of encounter. This, you wouldn't have added this one in your over 2.5 goals, quite rightfully so. But it was certainly the most intriguing game. Newcastle are in probably their worst patch of the season. If anything, they're kind of clinging on to fourth at this stage and they're experiencing, just like we were, that Spurs are perhaps the most irritating team to be in a top four battle with. I'm still completely convinced the one no one's looking, they just add points onto Tottenham. They're never far away, are they? So it doesn't matter what's happened. It makes no sense that they should have the points <laughs> that they have, but they do. So... Newcastle can worry about that. It certainly had one of the best moments of the weekend, and we will get there. But first, though, Almiron almost got Newcastle off to a flyer. Uh, Sir Maximin looked lively. 
And I guess we weren't to know just how crucial that miss was in the opening five. Yeah, and it looked a pretty familiar story, didn't it? Because I think it was pretty easy for St. Maximum to get in and play that ball in behind. Um, we look wide open as that we often do, certainly to start games, and as we've done for a large amount of games for the full 90 most of this year. Um, and for all we're going to talk about in this game, one of many very good one-on-one saves that Alisson makes. Yeah. St. Max gets man of the match at the end of this game from memory. Very rare you get that. There was some, there was someone who I remember getting it. I feel like it was a Liverpool game and they gave one to the other team in a game like that before. And I think it was Carragher that did, maybe it was like Richarlison or something, but he, he has a tendency for doing this. So Maximin, I love when this happened, played like a man who has heard everything that has been said about him and is out to prove a point to every single person that dared disrespect him. Yeah, and he's a great player for that to happen to as well because with his the flair he's got, the technique he's got, the tricks, that's always going to be, and how quick and direct he is. If he can do that, is fun to watch and, he, and he's going to cook most offenders if he's on it. It could go the opposite way and you go, what the hell are you doing, mate? But uh, yeah, he was decent. If he had end product, he would be insane because the way that he just bullies defenders, even there's that clip, isn't there, that, get, that got laughed about with him essentially just shimmying like that and just wiggling his foot over the ball. It's because he's battered the defender for the previous however many minutes. The defender is like jolting. It's like when a fight has been rocked three times, suddenly he's going to react to far more of your feints than he was going to do when the start, when the fight began. And he is just scary. There were some games, and I seem to remember we won almost all of them, but he would give Bellerin nightmares for 90. But at this point, he had far worse players around him. Almiron's still there, but not the same Almiron. And Who's to know what's going to happen? I think this is kind of the way the game has gone benefits his performance in a way that he doesn't have to do too much. He just has to be a, kind of a valiant performance and he's going to be praised at the end of it. But he played very well and that's exactly what Newcastle needed going into their cup final. Yeah. Serie A, probably a great place for him. Yeah, maybe. It'd be a shame to see him go. Yeah, I don't want him to go. I'm just saying that a place where he's probably going to add more numbers on there as well. We're going to be talking about this guy as uh, one of the premier players mm. in his position. About five minutes later, Darwizzi has the ball in the back of the net. Now, the ball is pinged forward by Trent. Darwin takes the ball down and smashes it in. Carragher referenced this on commentary annoyingly, as I thought I'd highlighted a good <laughs> point for today. Darwin absolutely leathers this past Pope. And the comparison I'd use is uh, Martinelli versus Brighton on New Year's Day. I said then that we got the goal, but the decision-making was concerning if it becomes a trend. Should you expect your 80 million man to just roll this in or does that not bother you in the slightest? I thought in this occasion with the way it sat up, I thought the technique was right. I thought it was right to Wally. And obviously it wasn't just a hit and hope. It was a nicely clean strike into the corner. So I, I wouldn't, be concerned on that one but I do think there's been previous instances where yeah he's gone to drill it where you may have wanted more curl and more placement but uh, as with most things with him it appears to be a work in progress <laughs> yeah. have you had his chance in your head 
since he scored and maybe beforehand. It's because- tough to get out. Although the clip of him doing that this weekend on one of those many shows that kind of stream themselves watching the game, the point in which he's done his initial Darwin, Darwin, when he sings the later bit, oh, it's so rough. (laughs) (laughs) The Luis Diaz bit, just you don't ever need to get to that bit. No, we don't need to go that deep into the song. There we go. No. Gakpo adds another shortly after with what Redknapp described as one of the greatest ever Premier League passes. Not sure your thoughts on that. <laughs> you must be happy that he's begun to look like an actual footballer. Yeah, that's that's reassuring, isn't it? That he's actually got something. Because previously you're in a situation where, look, we knew Darwin had something. It was just whether it was going to all click or come together or whatever. Gakpo, you're like, I, I've not seen anything from him at this point. Um, yeah, the movement was nice. It was top jaw from Salah um, the sort of vision and technique to be able to hit that pass probably wouldn't typically associate with him as good as he is mm-hmm. um, so that was nice was a good link up the fact that they were on the same page uh, is interesting uh, particularly as our other attacking players start coming back um, yeah that going forward is promising signs isn't it yeah I think with Salah it's probably to his detriment that he is who he is because if Erdegaard makes that pass, if De Bruyne makes that pass, we probably are hearing a bit more about it. It also is testament to him and it's taken a bit of time, but if he can make players better around him, which isn't always something that he's been praised for, then that's something that's only going to have him going up in people's estimations because you can't speak so much shit about Gakpo and Nunes and then if they start hitting the back of the net in and around Salah, then he's going to have to get some credit for that. And the last couple of games, it seems like he's doing his best to be the guy to make things click in a way that you would usually expect that to be kind of your orchestrator in midfield. Yeah, he's definitely assumed good amount of responsibility. The, the thing with him is he's he will have, maybe not normally a pass quite this good, but normally have a good pass or cross where you think he has got his in him. And then other times it's like his technique just kind of goes and it's not quite the same, but he still is able to hit the numbers that he does. And the numbers wise, you'd say his assist record is absolutely fine. You'd say he's not, you know, he's not a selfish player. Then you watch him. Sometimes you think, Oh, he could have passed there. You could have passed there. It's been more often. I've always thought with him decision-making. Sometimes he'll go alone where he shouldn't, or sometimes he'll pass where he should go alone. Um, But he just ends up because he's so good. And because typically we've been a good attacking team, there's enough chances created that it really doesn't matter. Um, I would imagine it wouldn't take very long of the other players scoring for him to start going, I'm having a bit more of this, thank you. I don't see that he will take it lying down. I think he wants to always be our top goal scorer, to be honest. Although there is a point where Henri spoke about the the second he started taking pride in the fact, the second it almost became recognised that people would say, you know what? He actually does a bit more than just put the ball in the back of the net. He said that was all he needed to hear to then want mm. to do that more. And I wonder if Salah perhaps got more credit for that side of his game, if maybe he would take the same pride in that. Potentially, I would probably suggest it would probably start to just use a slight on him. Maybe it's just changing times. Maybe it's social media, whatever. But I think he could be playing really well, setting people up and people will be going, well, hang on a minute. Where's the goal score? Why's the goals dried up? 
and mm. people would be trying to create a problem with that, I imagine, if I was having a guess. Could it help that for as much as he may have believed differently, he couldn't escape the uh, Mane comparison, no matter who, how good one of them was doing, there was a constant, well, is this one better? Is this one better? Do you think maybe there's a point where in his head, he quite rightly, it doesn't even just need to believe, he knows that he's better than Nunes, and he knows that he's better than Gakpo. So maybe there wouldn't be that sense of competition there and he would be more comfortable doing that because it wouldn't feel like a competition. It's potential, isn't there? And they're obviously both a decent bit younger than him as well. So he's going to feel like the senior senior player there. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely a different dynamic to, to it is with him and Mane. But uh, yeah, I, no, I think he's just become addicted to being a goal scorer. So I don't see that yeah. that's going to change. No, because even if you go back to the Everton game, and I perhaps could have done more um, more on that, it felt like so much longer ago than the Arsenal City game, but maybe that's uh, my own internal voice. <laughs> um, something seemed to click. I think both games here, it was to your benefit that you were expecting a far tougher game than yeah. you got. I think it was to your benefit that you got an early-ish goal in both games because I've spoken about it a lot on here that you can't allow these teams, and I don't put Newcastle in the same bracket as Everton, but you can't allow them to have a belief that they can get a result from you. And I felt that you took that away from Everton pretty quickly. I think it helped that they hit the post because there was a sense of, ah, oh, that was our big chance. And the fact that you turned it then, what, 17 seconds later into a goal at the other end, it was like they didn't know that they could be hit that hard by you in the state that you were in. And it, you cruised from there outwards. Newcastle, we're going to speak about the red card in just a second, but that early goal and then the double so important because this could easily become the kind of game they have with us, the game they've had with yourself earlier in the season and so many other teams that they're going to make it horrible and vile. But I don't know, maybe it was all just because Bruno wasn't in the middle. Maybe it was the fast start that I imagine Klopp demanded. Yeah, it was, well, I guess, yeah, you're absolutely right about the Newcastle one in that if we hadn't broken down early, I think the game would have become very pedestrian um, because of how good they are defensively and that, if we're not at it quite early, then we tend to fall into a sort of a bit of a low. We've seen that this year. Um, I thought you guys were good value considering they ended up down to 10 men and considering they didn't have Bruno. You are right. Without him, they are a different team. So we're fortunate in that regard. Um, but I, I thought that was the performance that kind of made me a little bit more reassured. The Everton one, as you said, once they had hit post and then we got the other end scored, it was like they were psychologically cooked because they didn't, any Merseyside derby is normally, they give you a bit of a fight and it's a harder game than it is for yeah. any other team facing Everton. And it was pretty comfortable for us, wasn't it? There was no real problems. Um, I thought it was a bit unfair putting that Sims up front. I thought he looked kind of out of his depth against us. But Well, he wasn't starting regularly. No, Sunday, exactly. I, I thought it was a bit unfair. Then he looked okay in the highlights of the against Leeds, but I know it is, we haven't been good, but we're not Leeds bad. Um I thought it was more about Mope than it was about him. Yeah, 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 you could be right. The uh, I guess the pleasing thing about both games was the energy. They just Everybody seemed to have a bit more, so there was more zip in the passing, there was more legs in there. Even though it was largely the same sort of personnel we're fielding, uh, there just seemed to be a bit more. And then visibly, you can see a little bit more confidence and belief in people like Gakpo. Um so it's, I guess it's a case of if you can ride it out now, if you're Liverpool, you've got to try and extend this to a few wins. Well, just putting someone like Bacetic in the middle, who I'm still 
and you'll have seen more of him than me. I'm still not quite sure how mm. good he is because we've seen youngsters come through and I'm trying to think of a credible example here. But I was going to use Iwobi for us, but I'm not sure that's fair. Sometimes you get a youngster come through and it's so much about their energy as it is their ability. And he is obviously very talented. I think Real Madrid isn't going to be the game to judge him either, but it's going to be over a sustained period. And if maybe Fabinho finds his form again and you can see a comparison of the two between them, I don't know. I don't know just how technically he is, is. No, I mean... I guess because I'm only seeing snippets. Yeah, because I think as well as partly as one of the reasons we've thrown him into the team is that, look, when his son makes a misfield, you'll charge about a bit of a maniac as well as being quite good and doesn't mind putting a challenge in. And I think we saw a little bit more of that. And then in the Newcastle game, you saw a little bit more of his quality and composure on the ball. Obviously, for the second goal, that's the one that you're going to see. That turn is quality yeah. and the way he runs with the ball is nice. Um, yeah, he's he's definitely got something, but you're right. It's Anytime a team's in a bit of a crisis and they throw a youngster in to try and bail them out, it's one, a great opportunity for the youngster, but secondly, probably a little bit unfair on him. And you'd, I'd probably look at someone like Yanazai at United, where it was kind of built up that he was kind of going to be the saviour. And it was more just that they were at such a low ebb that any sort of hope you could have, you'd cling to. And so throwing a young kid in through the academy is always a good way of, of sort of lifting spirits. Um, I do think Pacetti's yeah, got a little bit more than that, but what is he, 18? Absolutely. So you, you're not going to see. My initial comparison was, and it's at, it's at the, the horror end, is can you even just look back and comprehend that like Frimpong was briefly a thing? Yeah, yeah. I And so much of that was just about his energy and look, I'm, I'm basically doing everything that the fans want to see from them with their ability on top of it. And he is already a better player than, than Frimpong was. To a lesser extent, John Flanagan was. Yeah, but it just makes everyone around them work that bit harder. One, because you don't want to be shown up by a kid. And two, his interview after showed me enough of the kind of character he is and the energy that he's bringing. That this is a guy you he's want to work alongside. He's got something to buy him, hasn't he? Yeah, he's got a... You that, that, like you said, that interview does some personality to him, which is good. Interview was on repeat. He loves a tackle, doesn't he? But come on, <laughs> oh, this lad, he loves a tackle, doesn't he? <laughs> and that was one, uh, maybe if it was like a, a Spurs youngster, I might not be feeling the same. But I think anyone that perhaps doesn't completely despise Liverpool, more people than you'd like to know, I'm sure, but brought a smile to your face. It was someone that you could look at and want to see do well. Now, the second he fouls one of your players, that's going to go out the window. There's also going to be a, a fine line now, between him being game and then turning into a dirty bastard, isn't there? He's going to have to tread that line carefully. Yeah, and it's it's cool when a player comes through uh, the right way. So it's not someone that's been bought and you have to play. It's someone that just organically breaks into the team like Trent did for you or Saka did for us. The space opens up, they seize the opportunity and then they once they've back. got that shirt, they say, I've got to cling on to this. Mm-hmm. And then you just hope that they're lucky with injuries for a short period because sometimes it can be they go out the team and then back in. Is it disrespectful when you look at how Scott McTominay was spoken about when he first broke through for the United side and he was doing the same thing? He's offering the energy in the midfield. Look, he was doing these things that the guys around him weren't doing. I don't know. I think... From what I read about him, he's got a higher ceiling already. But 
Probably. But I, I guess we'll see uh, mm. further down the line. Yeah, it, it will be interesting. But for now, he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to be any better than that. No, exactly. That's he's doing that job, isn't it? So, um, as you said, if he plays against Real Madrid tomorrow night, that'll be uh, another interesting one for him. I was going to send you earlier. I saw, you know, those. Um, I think it's uh, FB Ref. You know the the graphs you get, the little bar charts for a player, and it's green is how well they're doing in that particular field or whatever. Yeah. Um, I saw Sabios's for this season. <laughs> Insane. And now I know it's contract year mm. stuff. This is like if you put it next to Pedri, if you put it next to De Bruyne or whatever, he's like cooking all of them statistically. <laughs> Tackles, shot creating actions, everything is, I think he's got something for you tomorrow. Yeah, because probably the thing that, that's not to diminish what you've just said, but probably the thing that makes it more interesting is that I was listening to um, a Madrid journalist a little while back and it's kind of like, literally just within the last month that it's just turned in which he's just yeah. gone got back in the team, nailed his place down and just kind of they thought, well, this would be a one-off performance and he's just sort of carried it through, as you said. So, it, The Bernabeu were on their feet chanting, please stay I mean, Ceballos. Yeah, yeah, insane. yeah, and you're right. He's, whatever you might have thought about Ceballos in his time in England, it wasn't fantastic in the large part. I think you probably got the impression that he's a personality that would want to put a marker down on an English team. So, your fancy against us. The the st- if you search his name in Barcelona, some of the tweets he had were the first thing that endeared into Madrid fans, and he was like villainized by everyone else in Spain. Where, I mean, calling them dogs was the nicest thing he tweeted. <laughs> to be honest, it's in he was talking about blowing up the new camp and all of this <laughs> crazy up. stuff as like a kid. Yeah, but yeah, he is. He is insane and he had some games for us where he's just floating. He's just in some other place. And Europe is actually where he had his worst games for us and it can go horribly wrong because his concentration is the thing that lets him down. He still speaks about the player that Arteta made him and I'm seeing some people ask for him back. I remember the bad times, so maybe not so much, but... Either he's going to get paid in Madrid, and that's the likely thing, or some team is going to pick him up on a free and look, you're going to be buying off the back of what could just be a purple patch, but he looks scary. On to Nick Pope then. I've been delaying this for reasons I'm not aware of because the talking point of the game comes from him and I can't even believe it's a talking point. Like Pope is proactive, he sweeps far more than he gets credit for in terms of uh, the, the type of goalkeeper we think he is. He comes out and heads one clear early in the game when it uh, gets between Shah and Botman. But Allison launches a ball down the field in the same way he does to set up Salah against City earlier in the season. On this occasion, Pope, for some reason, tries to dive in header it. He could just keep mm. running and kick it, I think. He misreads the bounce of the ball. He's on the floor and then he just instinctively grabs the ball yeah. on the, the first view I thought it touched his hand as he got up and I still thought okay well the rules are the rules when I saw the replay why is this even a conversation it's the most 
clear and obvious red card since Casemiro tried to choke someone <laughs> on the field of play. And would you believe that one was debated as well? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was with you. I'm not, I'm not quite sure where the debate stemmed from. The, the only debate is kind of what was going through his head. I, I understand instincts taken over, but you've been so aware of your surroundings that you've gone in with your head. I think you realise I can't use my hands. It's a, it's a crazy decision. In terms, it looked like it dawned on him pretty much immediately as well that that red card. He knew what that would mean as well. There was no sort of caught up in the moment. <laughs> Well, he's caught up in the moment. He tries to put Trippier into oh, yeah. orbit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Trippier just gave him a little look as he did that as well, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I thought the stuff on uh, match of the day was a bit much. In terms of, look, we'd all rather he plays because unless you're a Sunderland fan or, <laughs> or you're a like, anti-Saudi or whatever, I don't know anyone that doesn't want Newcastle to beat Man United in their cup final. But... You can debate the rules of the nonsense of whether a red card in the Premier League should rule you out of a game in the Carabao Cup, which I completely agree with. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I was say, that part of it, I thought, was pretty agreeable. But this thing, it's like... I mean, it's it's a red card every single day of the week. Don't tell me about a last man behind. Just don't No, once the keeper comes out of his box, the only argument, you're, you're done, aren't you? You're cooked. The only argument you could have maybe is maybe start doing this to players who get fouled and grab the ball. Mm. That's the only thing that I could say, okay, if you're applying it here, apply it there as well, because that happens far more frequently than we'd like. And I know we've both said how irritating it is before, but this is as clear a red card as you could possibly see. Yeah. It's just so freakish. That's the reason why yeah, we're talking about Yeah, you about. couldn't believe what he was doing, could you? Um, and he looked like he couldn't believe what he'd done. Yeah, I, I think the rule shouldn't be that I think it should just apply suspension should just apply to um the uh, the league matches. I hadn't realized that thing with the yellow card situation as well. That obviously if you get the suspension via accumulated yellow cards, you can still play in the League Cup final. I mean that just throws the whole thing into where's the logic in any of it then in that case. In terms of how Newcastle view this, if that is their way of thinking then Bruno is suspended for the League Cup final because he's sent off in the second leg of the semi-final. So, Picky uh, yeah, Boys, would you that? Pope yeah, or Bruno? Fair. Rough for them. I do think... I spoke earlier about the, the scripts and things as we've seen in football. Does it not feel to you like Carrius is, is due a redemption game? So, I mean... Maybe not yeah. for you, actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would be a good script for him personally. Um... I think I've probably got a better idea of what will happen. <laughs> uh, I think that uh, I think Newcastle only get cooked. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I don't want that to happen. If anything, I feel the script is in for United. I can hear that you know what happened with Pep and he won this competition here and it kicked them on to great things. Blah 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 blah. That's going to be the one. Uh, sorry, anyhow. Uh, not happening, especially when you even add in they could be without Willock. Yeah, all the signs are it's going thing. wrong for Newcastle at the wrong time and right for United at the right time. When Pep says, you know, the player wanted to leave, we had to get rid of them. They've usually got like five other players in that position. Newcastle doing it for Chris Wood and Dubravka in the summer and uh, John Joe Shelby. 
doesn't make sense when they're not replacing them. And uh, yeah, it's looking a bit spooky for me because this is where Newcastle are now find themselves in a ditch. It depends how much they've placed on a Carabao Cup final. I think that Man United, despite the fact they'll want that piece of silverware and what they'll claim it does, I think they could compartmentalise it better than Newcastle, who I think this is like their life and soul they're putting into this. You saw the reaction on the pitch uh, to get to the final and even to get to the semi-final. I think they could go downhill very quickly if, if things go horribly. Yeah, it might depend on the nature of it. If it's a close game, but they lose, you can probably get over that. If they did get cooked by United, if they looked a bit out of their depth, then it might, as you said, start to unravel a little bit. And some of their decision-making with the squad building, you might question a little bit. You might say, did they get a bit carried away with themselves? Um, not that I think some of the ones would have made a huge difference, but just on sheer numbers, if nothing else. Yeah. I'm also not sure everyone repeatedly telling Carriers, you know, this is big for you. This is huge. This is your moment. You can turn this around. You've got this opportunity here. I feel like a guy who's shown the way he dealt with the largest pressured situation in his career previously. You maybe do everything you can to downplay this before he goes into Yeah. This. Yeah, that's... That man's going to have the world watching him. That's not what he needs. And in terms of how the rest of the game went, I thought Newcastle looked okay after that. They created more. They defended better than I thought they would. Was any of this a worry to you because they did continue to create chances or was it a case of job done? We've played a game already this week. We're not overexerting ourselves ahead of a big game against uh, Real Madrid on Tuesday night. I guess... you could put it down to just mentally switching off, couldn't you? Um, I did think the number of chances they created, good chances as well, was still a little bit concerning. Bearing in mind, their issue in recent weeks has been they haven't been scoring enough. They haven't been the most creative, but they've been good defensively. Well, they created some good chances against us. Against, again, Allison had to be really good. Um, you don't want to do that against a better team. You certainly won't want to do that against Real Madrid. Um, so I think a lot of the problems... Liverpool have had are still there. They've just been masked a little bit by a dreadful Everton performance and a Newcastle performance that where it wasn't really their day. So, uh, as much as it's an improvement for Liverpool, some of the some of the problems certainly defensively are still there. I think. There's an article on the Athletic that essentially said, "Look, two weeks ago Liverpool were scared to face Real Madrid. Now, absolutely not." I wonder where you stand on that uh, scale. Well, um, I thought Klopp had a, a bout of a quote today and I'm going to get it wrong, but essentially he said that you have to be at your best to have a chance against Madrid. Madrid don't have to be at their best and still have a chance, which I thought was a... Yeah. I think it was close if it wasn't the exact quote. I'm sure it, was a, it was a bout of throwing yeah, because yeah. that is exactly how you feel against Madrid. And kind of even you know a couple of weeks ago when our fans were searching for some sort of solace and that, oh, Madrid are out of form as well. But Yeah, but kind of the entire history of Real Madrid is it doesn't matter what we're doing in the league, this competition will we'll put a run together. So um, I feel pretty much no different than if we'd had... I, I guess I'm probably about 5% more confident by the fact that we've actually put a couple of performances together. Maybe it makes you think uh, you've got half a chance. The interesting thing obviously is Whoever does get through, obviously, if Madrid get through, they'll always find their chances. If we overcome Madrid, 
obviously the current holders who've just been yeah. us. You're then going to look at the rest of the competition. You need to go, City are probably going to be perennial favourites. Whoever gets through out of PSG and Bayern, after that, you're going to go, well, the landscape Napoli. isn't that scary. Yeah, Napoli is, yeah, no one's going to want Napoli. Napoli are playing probably the best football Yeah, world, no one's going to want Napoli, but you could, if you can avoid them in the draw, you'll hope they'll get taken out by someone like a City or a, or one of those two teams, yeah. maybe potentially if they draw them, whereas where maybe the class will prevail. Um, we hope City stay in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Napoli against City would be a tasty tie, wouldn't it? Because the form Napoli are in and City's weird relationship with European competition, it'd be, that'd be a great draw. It's going to be really depressing, and I'm probably going to butcher the name here, if um, that Kavaric Gellia goes to City and is just made to become a robot. Agreed, yeah, agreed. It's going to be so hot. In fact, he probably fits our system as well as anyone in the world. And you can see him at United, which is probably the worst combination of both. Agreed. Um, Last thing on Liverpool. You spoke before this week, um, or before the last game week, about how you were unsure why some Liverpool fans had the level of confidence they did going into uh, a top four battle. Are you starting to look now and feel that's in reach? It certainly looks, obviously, a lot more doable. The, uh, I'm still a little bit baffled by the, you know, we've got either got one game or two games in hand over most of the teams above us. They're kind of the blase, well, just win them and then we're in there. Well, yeah, just winning, putting wins together has been a problem this year. I don't know if you've been paying attention. Um, you've got one game in hand and I believe you're actually going to, by the end of it, have played a game more. I thought we had two over Newcastle. So I could be wrong. Okay, yeah, maybe I'm thinking more of the kind of everyone mm. in the league. But yeah, I think you'll have one. You may have two over. You'll have played a game more because uh, yeah, the league yeah, yeah. final maybe. So we'll, we'll obviously have a better idea of where we're at by then. But yeah, I do find good couple of results. But I do find the assumption that we'll just, right, we'll win our games in hand and then we'll go on a run like we've done for the last couple of years. It's... I've not yet quite seen that from the team yet, I don't think. Could really do with you dealing with United. Well, we'll do our best, right? We'll try. For you, not for us, obviously. <laughs> well, Connor's already been messaging me today talking about Liverpool resting players and their ability to do so. And you, United are going to do this and they're going I'm to do sure that. I'm sure it'll be a, a heroic underdog tale if United do manage to overcome us. That will be. Yeah. Do not like the way they're hanging about. Man City, quick bit on them. Everyone just kind of assumed that they would have just moved on from Wednesday, start trouncing everyone in their path and just march to glory was the way everything was framed at 10 o'clock on Wednesday evening. However, it is Arsenal at the end of the weekend back on top after they drew away at Forest. I thought Kate. KDB stepped up against Arsenal. Mares stepped up against Spurs in the uh, home game. And the key to their turnaround, really in closing the gap, has been the other guys outside of Haaland are making mm. a difference. When he missed from a yard out on Saturday, surely it's the guys like Phil Foden that need to start doing something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the one chance that Foden fucks up where he kind of doesn't know whether he's going to shoot or square it to Harlan or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's unbelievable. You know, I, I mean, I talked about the early goal one earlier. That's just as bad in its own way. Uh, but look, I, I, at risk of becoming the resident Harlan hater here, 
chances he's missed. If your thing is, yeah. look, this guy scores a bucket load of goals and that is different. It doesn't matter whatever other shortcomings happened, then he has to score and he has to close the show. And by the way, I could, I could believe my ears where I was hearing pundits this weekend, bearing in mind what we've just seen, talk about Arsenal City down the stretch going, I just think City with Haaland and De Bruyne are just going to be that bit more ruthless and put teams away where Arsenal can't. I was like, did, did we watch this same weekend's games? Am I in the twilight zone? I can't get my head around it. So we can tell ourselves City are going to do this and do it and do it or whatever. Jack said Chelsea are sleepwalking into a relegation zone. We could end up sleepwalking into a situation where City aren't this team that they've been the last couple of years, but we're just going to keep telling ourselves that they are and the Arsenal are going to end up finishing fifth. I don't know how long, how many games we're going to need before we start going, uh, maybe this isn't, these preconceived ideas we have of these two teams maybe don't quite fit. Because I'm, I'm I'm wary as a, you've been well aware of saying the wrong thing here. Like I, I can genuinely, I could put my hand on my heart and this is not some uh, fake thing here. Like maybe I saw from some Liverpool fans when you were like 25 points clear. <laughs> where I'm on here saying, you know, I'm really not confident while inside I'm going, you know what, this is wrapped up. But there's no middle ground. No. Like, if if we're eight points clear, it's, well, Arsenal are obviously going to win the league. And if there's a two-point difference, then it's, well, that's them done. I don't know how they're going to bounce back from this. City's league to lose. Uh, Arsenal are going to come third now. Yeah. Yeah. You have assumed our role and then some because of your falling away at the end of last season, unfortunately. I will say for the, this isn't being uh, sort of expert after the event. After City beat you, as much as I I thought, you know, obviously Forest away isn't exactly a bad game for them. Unlike previous years, I didn't have just total conviction that they were going to go out and put that team to the sword. Most years I would have gone, yeah, now they'll start cooking, they'll go on the roll. There was just still something. I was like, I'm not, I'm not sure. I didn't necessarily know that they would drop points, but I thought it maybe won't be a steamrolling job like it was. Now, by the way, in terms of the chances they created, it should have been. been. So <laughs> I was largely wrong in what I was saying, to be honest, because they should have cooked them. I, it just, I thought just the very I fact thought- that in my mind, I wasn't convinced that they were going to smash Forest. I mm-hmm. thought told me something about this team still isn't fully convincing me. I thought Navas actually should have done better with the goal they concede of all the chances that... I was going to say, I mean, afterwards. I think he probably makes up for it with so many others, doesn't he? Yeah. But yeah, I, I was the opposite and as I have been for most City games, to be fair. But when I saw that they were two to five with the bookies, I couldn't believe what mm. what I was seeing. I got it in an accurate. I mean, I wasn't confident enough to put the house on it, but it was like, well, obviously it's going to happen. They go one nil up, I think, in about 40 minutes and it was like, okay. And... I don't particularly like the guy just from what I see, but that Sam Dean who covers City for the Athletic was kind of repeatedly through the game going, City have missed another chance. Forrest obviously going to score here. The way this game's going, Forrest are definitely (laughs) going to score here. They're definitely going to score and then their only shot on target of the game and it's Chris Wood from a yard out. And I was terrified at that point because it was like, don't give me hope. 84 minutes, it was like the Aaron Rodgers. You're giving me six minutes. <laughs> and I thought, I flicked over to Sky Sports News briefly and the first time I heard it, oh, 
it was for another game, but I thought I can't do this. Mm. <laughs> Switch straight back over everything off, and I thought I'm just going to wait ten minutes and just try and look at the score. Last about three minutes, but yeah, horrible. I was convinced that we were going to hear that you know City. This is what they do, but I don't know how much of a difference our late result had on them, or if it doesn't make any difference at all, because. They must have been traveling down to the game watching that mm. Arsenal one. Arteta's admitted a few times, like I know most managers don't, that, that the players, even when they're together, whether it's what the manager doesn't want them to do or what, they're watching the games, they're paying they're paying attention to the games. That must have been rough. If I'd seen City do that in the last what, ninety second and ninety sixth yeah. minute, I'd be expecting my players to be shook going out on the pitch. And the the thing is, I think with their experience and whatever, I would say it wouldn't affect them. I would say until you start missing some of these chances and then I think it just must just start just sneaking into your mind a little bit of, well, that team's just pulled out at the death and we can't finish a chance here to love no money. Um, I think that's when it must start playing on your mind. Do you think there's anything in it that when you obviously had the start to the season that you did, they kind of just assumed, well, no one else is going to be. Because as much as they kept talking Arsenal up, I almost thought they were talking us up too much, like a fighter selling his opposition in boxing, where it's like, the fact you're you're doing this tells me all yeah. I need to know. You shouldn't need to be selling that. I don't know if there's any of that in it. I don't know how seriously they did take us and whether it's kind of the thing in boxing where once you've switched off, it's hard to switch back on because you're already rocked at that point. Yeah, that, to be honest, that's largely until they, their game against you, that's kind of largely how I've looked at City. It's kind of, maybe it was complacency or whatever, but it looks like they weren't fully at their level. And as you've said, kind of hard to switch it on when you already haven't. Um, but I did also then think it stood out quite clearly which players were. Like I've said it a few times now, but I think Grealish is... Really, if you just look at him, just even just his willingness to run up and down, he looks more up for this yeah. than some of the players around him. And maybe it's because he realizes, well, look, I need, I'm a hundred million pound player, and I need to, you know, just be a shining light in this team, winning something. I think he's probably quite aware that I didn't do an awful lot in winning the league last year with this team. I've got to do something more. And it's about if he can sort of drag some players with him. I think he's by virtue of kind of how much he's trying to switch on individually is showing up some of the other players who maybe aren't, I think, working quite as hard. Um, the only thing that's bad news for you is whether you end up sort of dragging the dog out of them, is that they go, right, If okay, yeah. we're, we're up for a fight then. Is there something with Grealish as well, do you think, that for so long it was so easy for him to say, you know what, well, Pep tells me that he doesn't need me to be scoring 10 goals a season, that wasn't why he signed me. And whether it's he's had a taste of the goals or whether it's, you know, sometimes a fighter can fall in love with their knockout power and they know what it feels like to knock someone out. Maybe it's just giving him that kick on more that he's had the feeling of what it is to be the guy because what Haaland hasn't been doing it, what he's had three match winners, I think in that time, he thought he had the one against United. Maybe he's just, now he's had a taste for it. He wants even more. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, it's interesting watching him and, um, Madison, actually, when you watch the two of them, I think there's been spells in their career where um, they've started to stagnate a little bit, where we know how good they are. And it could be quite easy for them to just be that guy, kind of 
before his fall, kind of like Deli Ali was, where we knew he was a good talent, but he didn't kind of kick on. It was just kind of at a level. And I think it would have been very easy for both of them. If you look at both of them, I think you can just even just watch the way they carry themselves there. There's an urgency to them now where they realize, look, I've really got to crack on and push on here. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting to watch just because of how their career have had such parallels in terms of who's going to be picked for England, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess maybe the England thing does also play into it a little bit with Greenish. I'd say you'd probably look at um, the way Rashford and Saka have really kicked on, especially, I think, post-World Cup. Yeah. And maybe that's also a driver for them as well. Don't know what Phil Foden's excuse is in that case, we, but... <laughs> I, I would start more of a narrative around him if I wasn't terrified that I would kick him. <laughs> Even just looking at our performance, I was trying to think about this earlier and I was trying to think, if this was Spurs, how would I be looking at this? If this was them in that position, even not the title stuff, but just the, the the game. And on the one hand, you look at it, really good fight back, you know, players not knowing when the game's done, going to the bitter end, showing a bit of character there. On the other hand, if I was going to frame it to the other extreme, I would say, okay, they relied upon a guy scoring his first goal ever a guy scoring a goal that he's never going to score again and Saka being the only one to really regularly provide something at the other end of the pitch. And so I do wonder if the same issues we had at the start of this Villa game, they could come in at the start of this Leicester game. I think the first goal in that game is really important because we're going to speak about them in a second, but they seem to fall apart in terms of just tracking runners in the midfield the second they went behind. And you can't allow them to start having a day like they did against Spurs. But there's so many things like you can't even look at Leicester and Everton like you did a couple of weeks ago and say, cash money, three points, cheers. Like, I'm looking at Everton at home next week. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who knows? Maybe it's this, uh, saw- this bloke for Southampton and he fancies himself a bit. Who knows? You're going to be looking at Southampton games <laughs> going, oh, shit, they're, they're a tough team. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a... A suggestion, and I, I don't know if you would have any comparisons maybe with, with Liverpool and how they've been with this, that City, there was a, a, a level of kind of pent-up energy that they let out at the end of the Arsenal game. It's the first time we've really seen that in a while. Arsenal, even just the way they go through games, uh, particularly since the start of the season, they kind of live and die in every single moment from Arteta right down to, I don't know, Kieran Tierney, Zinchenko, whoever. I don't know if that will take a toll on us by the end of the season because that seemed to happen last season. I know there were injuries, but by the end of it, the players just looked so just yeah, drained. exhausted and just fatigued. Yeah, emotionally exhausted. Yeah, I've, I've, I've probably got... Uh, good, good and bad for you. Um, I would say the first time we lost out on the title to City on the last day of the season. I love the fact that there's numerous ones I can reference there. Um, <laughs> brings me great joy. Um, we had a lot of those games, and I, I remember saying on the podcast, you know, we're having a lot of back and forth games here where you might look at the result and think it was inevitable, but if far, far from reality, one of the ones later in the season was um, off the top of my head uh, away at Newcastle. And we've brought on Shakiri and Origi, of course. Shakiri free kick, Origi bags a last minute winner against Newcastle. You've gone life yeah. and death in that. And that's just to stay in touch with City. And as you've said there, I questioned 
how much that takes a toll. By comparison, that City are winning games at a counter, having 70% possession, pretty comfortable. Yeah, which I guess they're and, doing this year. Yeah, and so I questioned if we could carry on. Now, I would say, one, we took that down to the last game of the season. So I don't think we were too drained by it. But also, I think we've had the same, we had that same situation the year we do win the league. I think if you look at that first part of the season, each game we were having celebrations like you're having with Arsenal, where there's a lot of parallels there. But you kind of felt that each win was massive and the manager was celebrating, the players were celebrating. And you probably, if you were a, like a neutral observer, looking at everything, what the hell are they going on about here? But there's something in it. Um, and I guess if you wanted a, a slightly out there example, if you remember during the World Cup, there was a, an article yeah, that got a lot of traction <laughs> about how... Argentina, obviously they lose to Saudi, but yeah. then each win after that, they were saying, look, can you emotionally sustain that? Because everything felt like a cup final. And it turns out they could. So, Yeah. I also think that is something that, mass is the wrong word, but um, bridges some of the gap in ability between our squad, I would say, and cities. Because I still do truly believe outside of a couple of positions, player for player, we can match them. And the good thing is you only have to play them yeah. once uh, once more, sorry. Um, I think for all the people that say Arteta shouldn't be doing this, I think if he stopped doing that, then you would see that out on the pitch as well. I think the the age of the players and all of this, that actually seems to give them a boost more than the other way around. So he obviously has to keep it up emotionally. I do think we're going to find out a lot with how we treat the Europa League in two weeks' time. The twists and turns here are something I, I wasn't prepared <laughs> for because well, I, I kind of, not that I believed that would happen, but I could certainly see a situation, and I didn't think it would be this soon, that we can be in front, we can be in front, and then you see it in sports you, all the time. The, the team that should be in the lead takes the lead, and then it's, oh, well, we missed our chance. I think mentally the fact that we got through that period, we bounced back, we beat Villa and we're back on top now because that must have been tough after so long being on top of the league on Thursday morning going into training and seeing City on top because the pressure didn't diminish like people said it would. Okay, you're chasing now. We were the first game back up. So it was, what have you got? For no, me? and obviously the nature of the game going behind twice. Do you, um, I'll be honest, I think if you could have designed the perfect game in terms of psychologically how Arsenal could turn it around after the City game, it would have been this one. Because I think even if you, you know, if, it would have been great. If you go out and smash Villa 5-0, of course, that's a great answer. But yeah. we could have all gone, wow, look, Villa have got that in them every now and again to throw one in. Yeah. Uh, the nature of this, how testing it was for the players' mentality, and look, I sound like a bit of a broken record in saying that if you watch Arsenal this year, it doesn't look like the same team as last year. Just mentally, they look stronger. No. So the idea that they're just going to fade away, I think, is a bit naive. But this would be a perfect game you that- could use as an example of what I was saying. Hopefully, uh, it's like the one you said against Villa where you came back late and City from there on were like, you know what, we don't have the heart for this. So if they could just, and United as well, if they could both stop <laughs> winning. <laughs> yeah. But interesting, we we played the second half outside of those two chances, which I think are a symptom of us being so high up the field. It's the best we've played in a while. Some of the football we played on another day, we score five or six. Um, to do that there 
when the pressure was on show that was there. I don't even know where I'm going with this, but I didn't expect it when I think a lot of people, even maybe some of the players have resigned themselves to, you know, it's not our day to pull that out was very impressive. And I guess the the only thing that keeps me ticking on because I am still just terrified that on one week, and I thought it was the second, uh, the first game against Spurs, City are going to go, whoa, <laughs> whoa, something has just happened here. And now they're actually close enough that we can catch up with them. The fact we have Jesus coming back in, the fact we have Smith Rowe coming back in, Party's the worrying one because he doesn't just have two week absences and he's still not come back into training. Yeah, that's yet. not a great sign. Because, as I said, it, Jorginho worked well in this game. I also saw the worrying things there as to why he can't do this job frequently. Uh, it's going to be. Uh, I will be- say as well, you. And this is going to be one of the more obvious things. You can't just drop points three games in a row again. But I mean. No, psychologically, I think you can't have another blip like that. You can look; you're going to drop points here and there, but I don't think you can over a few games just because you can never give City a second bite at the cherry. If you give them another glimpse of it, they'll go, "Okay, you've you've given us one too many chances now." Because that was the thing for me going in with the um, eight point gap, as I've been reminded uh, mainly by Sean. Strangely, <laughs> um, it was okay. We're going to drop points, but. I didn't see a situation in which that would Mm. happen. And so the fact that that was able to happen that fast scared me a lot more and probably scared the players and other fans a lot more because it's that fast. We're only five points ahead of United, so that same Mm. swing could happen again. We need to take advantage of the fact we're playing twice before they play another game and then their next game is against Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, we said about Spurs sneaking points. I mean, United have just kind of snuck up on me all season, it would appear. I've just not taken them yeah, seriously I've, enough. I've oh, been... shit, they're right there. I mean, De Gea had one mm. of those days yesterday and so did Leicester's forwards in a, in a different way. I, I had this, I, mean, I still feel strongly about it. I felt a lot more strongly about it yesterday. I wrote in my phone at six o'clock last night, this is the clearest indication of match fixing I've seen <laughs> in a live game. The clearest. The offside the other week in the City game put out everyone's eyebrows raised. Mm. That Sabitz a red card not being given is insane. The ball is so low and he makes connection with all of his studs on the opponent's knee. As people said as well, the way he turned out did look like the, the sort of the coward move where you you go, look, I'm about to nail someone here and I don't want to get caught myself. But in in real time, I thought, and this is a ridiculous way of looking at it, you can still really injure someone. I thought he essentially got away with the fact that there wasn't much follow-through by way of, you know, that one where you press, obviously, your, your foot on the guy's knee and it starts to bend almost yeah. like it's going to be a leg breaker. And that's when we go, well, you know this guy's getting a red card. And because that didn't happen, I thought he got away with it. But I guess, you know, as I'm saying, this was come out of my mouth, you probably don't need to nearly break someone's leg for it, I guess. He didn't even, he didn't even get a booking. But then that's the thing, isn't it, though? Because they can't they can't step in and give a booking after that. Um, well, I thought you could give a booking and essentially you say, 
I need to know if this is more than that. Yeah, I, I mean, the, I, think, I think the ref probably should have given a booking. Um, but the point is, once he did in the VAR... He gives Mendy a booking... It gives Mendy a booking minutes later for something far softer, which is... Well, yeah, yeah, that is it, isn't it? Then once you've made that decision, it's kind of what else goes. Um, And you're going to be given a lot of more softer ones away. I I guess my lack, my more, my my greater concern is more that there was really nothing made about it in the game. There was kind of like, normally you'd get a Neville, oh, he's a lucky boy if he's got away with that. Whereas he kind of gave you a, a small glimpse of that, but he was like... I think he eventually said what I said about not much follow through, so he's not, that's not a red. And it seemed a little bit like right, let's go on with the game, then let's pretend that didn't happen, which is yeah. Well, he he's just an embarrassment these days. I don't know if you saw his comments about the potential United's new ownership after the game mm. yesterday. Not great. There's, I mean, everyone's slightly different with their own team, and then there's that you can't be in a public forum being as outspoken as you've been. And then go, you know, well, I think the ship sailed on that. Very difficult, isn't it? Look at Newcastle and look at City because you've been cursing Newcastle and City. The ship had sailed. The owners were in. What the hell are you talking about? Um, There is no way you can convince me that Rashford goal is onside. There is no way. Not with... We all saw the same pictures. If you have a picture where it is quite literally horizontal along the line, show us those pictures. Yeah. And the fact they never do that is the weirdest thing. Yeah, that is odd, isn't it? And even probably my main concern with with that one is that we've seen it a few times where it's it looks aside, and then you get the perspective shot where you sometimes do get them, and you're okay, it, it looks different. But this looked like the most classic version of everyone we've seen from this angle, where once you see that foot slightly ahead. The line's going to come out, and it's always, and it's going to be red or whatever for uh, for offside. I was, yeah, I didn't know if I was being a biased Liverpool fan, but it looked at it. Oh, I don't, I don't know about that. That looks, that looks off. Even the line that's drawn is from his elbow, which is sticking out. It's like, <laughs> uh, I don't know if we, myself included, people laughed at the the tweet saying, you know, Rashford is uh, joined the Golden Boot race. I don't know if this is a thing. They're like, hang on, there is a race and you're going to soon see. But it's it's, it's very, very strange. Um, yeah, yeah, it did look a certain way. I will, I will admit it didn't look great um, from that, from those two big decisions. The, um, the flip side to that is Leicester. I mean, the capitulation, yeah. Tim Shearer would be talking about, you can't legislate for that. It'd be saying some of them have forgotten, but he won't. They're just, I'd say it's probably, is there a team that folds as easy as them? I think they're not, obviously not the worst team in the league. Let's not say too much, but we've got them. Yeah, okay. But if I, you said about the first goal, that is. <laughs> yeah, if they get yeah, that first yeah. goal, they might be up for it. If you get the first one, they'll go out a whimper. They're just... The in, the inability to track runners in the middle of the park. Um, I, the stock of Ndidi has fallen to a place. Like yeah, oh, I mean, and that is at that point about attitude isn't it when you look at the rest of players it's about how hard are you willing to try and they're just they're not and for all we you know we sang about sang the uh, the praise of Iheanacho of what he can do I thought this game also showed the uh, other we, side to it where it's like what well, he he's not going to get the ball into feet and hold it and, and do the other side of the game so if it's not no. if the chances aren't there for him then you can't really show any of his qualities you kind of got to put yourself in there and he, he doesn't do it enough 
And Newcastle are suffering at the moment as teams have started to drop 10 yards deeper. When are teams going to do this against United? Mm. Yeah. Like, how are there constantly this room for one of the fastest players in the league to run through to? Because Rashford isn't dribbling around you. He's not that guy. We saw that. He dribbles through you. And teams are continually just saying, if you knock it past us, then we'll have a foot race with you with some of the slowest centre-backs in the league. Yeah, it, it's not because some of his runs are nice. Some of the ones from left to the middle are, are nice runs that are hard to track and he's obviously lightning. And then some of them are just obvious. And like you said, I can't believe how high the teams are pressing. Now, I will say, it's one of the worst step-outs ever you'll see from Leicester. From, uh, <laughs> yeah. Fez, how do you say his name? Is it Face? Fez? He nice, was, yeah. I mean, he was a disaster to... most of the game. Just so rash. But I, I can't even explain what he's doing. I mean, Joe Gomez would look at that and go, what are you doing, son? <laughs> I don't need to see Suter on set pieces against us at the weekend because that man looks <laughs> massive. Uh, I mean, Sancho went to the mountains and Hand has genuinely come back a new man. We should uh, we should send Aaron Rodgers on that escape rather than the one he keeps going on. <laughs> yeah. I'll ask you, are they in the title race? Um... No. I keep having this nightmare of them just poking ahead with like a I fortnight think, to go. Look, technically, now at the minute they are in the title race, but I don't think they will be a month from now. So I, I just don't think they're quite as good as Arsenal and Man City. But I will say they they do look significantly better than before they were. Um, and also, I think they are benefiting from you said there about when a team's going to start sitting in a bit deeper against them. I do wonder if as the season gets towards the nitty gritty, more teams will look to do that and start to respect them a little bit more. I think they're benefiting probably from what you did a little bit earlier in the season where people weren't sure if Arsenal were the real deal um, and didn't set up accordingly. I think they're still not probably giving United their full respect. Maybe as time goes on, teams are desperate, even for just a point here and there, they might start doing that to United. Is it strangely to their detriment that they actually don't get to play Arsenal or Man City? Like they can't have that six-point swing. It might be, yeah, because I. You fancy because in our position, I'd rather be playing quite fancy United against Arsenal, City, don't you? Just in terms of, yeah, there just seems to be a bit of a hoodoo that they have over both those clubs to some extent. I know the results don't always play that out, but just in terms of, you'd say. City have obviously always been significantly better than United for the last few years and yet have struggled for results against them at times. And Arsenal, even when they've been in good form, sometimes struggle performance-wise against United. So, yeah, yeah it, it probably actually does go against them a little bit. Because Connor sent me and he said, and he's very negative as you're aware, our next four games are Barca in the Europa, Newcastle in the Carabao, West Ham in the FA Cup and Liverpool in the league. Four losses and we're out of every competition. <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> I said, let's get one thing clear. You're not losing to West. I don't think they're losing. I hope they're losing any of those, to be to be honest with you. Hey, hey, hey. Um, yeah, yeah. I think they'll win the Carabao, and that I do think. I don't, I don't like to say it. I think it probably will be a pretty decent springboard for them because I think it probably. I don't think he needs to for their fans, but I think for maybe for the wider football public, it probably legitimizes Ten Hag his start at the club. Um, although that is one of the worst cup runs you'll ever see sorry their their run to the Carabao final is one of the easiest yeah, runs yeah, you'll yeah but people see. won't look at the that will they I mean because no. um, 
from memory, Jose's one for them was pretty stinky. And people were using yeah. that as an example of him. Well, well he trebled, didn't he? Um, which was a, an interesting yep. spin on things. Do you think they beat Barca? Oh, yeah, I think they probably do now. No Pedri and Gavi. Yeah, like yeah I think... Because I don't know if you saw, that punditry was horrible from Skulls and Hargreaves. They've just gone the way now of completely just homing it. Because Skulls was going, uh, he said at one point, I mean, uh, you don't like to see that injury for Gavi, do you? <laughs> Unless you're on a, that's United. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell is going on? Jesus. Uh, Pedri, sorry, not Gavi. Yeah, he's like, you don't need to see that. Unless you're a United fan. <laughs> yeah, love to see that. <laughs> what? And Hargreaves is doing his thing along, like, you know, I think United are brilliant. United has set up in the previous game with Weghorst in the 10 and Savage on commentary. And I can't, have you, are you seeing this? <laughs> It's like a Weghorst. There's a number 10 and Fernandez on the right. And Fernandez has played on the right every game since Anthony's been injured. Yeah, not, not doing too much homework there. Maybe Savage is just touting for his uh, his lads. If Weghorst is getting a game, why can't yeah. I get a game? We've, we've let Anthony get away with having a celebration compilation, by the way, very easily. Never seen that before <laughs> in my life. Compilation from the bench, from the stands. <laughs> Bloody hell. Spurs, I had a little thing here. I mean... As I say, Newcastle are finding out they just won't go away. Is Sun back or is he just against West Ham in transition? Is what? Sorry? Is Sun really back or did he just play West Ham? Yeah, exactly. I think think mainly, I think Spurs fans would need a lot more convincing that Sun's back rather than than us. I think I've said before about different clubs and players, but sometimes... You've got to look at what the own, their own fan base is saying, and when sort of the anti-insert player movement is coming from your own fan base, that's normally telling a story. Um, Spurs fans have been complaining about Sun for most of this season. So, yeah, I asked uh, Connor Palmer if he'd take Hassan Hootel, by the way, and he said he would. He wants Billich back from uh, what? Fucking so, up. <laughs> there you go. Some some people just never learn. Uh. Last thing here, we've got Fury versus Paul this weekend. I've got 40 English pounds resting on this with Boach and Sharma. Give me your take of how you see it. I was feeling a lot more sure of your money and then something about this week, I don't know, it's not a question to myself. You're telling me. <laughs> You're yeah. telling me. Um... I I don't know. I tell you what it was. There was um, an interview with Fury where it's the only time I've actually heard him speak where he sounds like he's got any conviction in what he's saying. Um, where he was saying, oh, "Look, if this was uh, another guy, if he wasn't as famous as he was, you'd all be saying I'll get this done, no problems, and, and basically giving me no credit for the win." Now, if he actually believes that, then that's got he's got more belief in himself than I thought he did because I was my main reason on thinking Paul Steamroll him is that. Well, Fury's essentially pulled out of it twice. So that doesn't tell me you're very confident. The fact he's actually doing it and he seems like he's got a bit of belief and up for it has got me a little bit, has got me questioning it a little bit, but I will still go with that you'll get your money, but it might be a bit hairier than I thought. Yeah. Because does the thing not work the other way around? That yeah, it's true. If this was presented as a Jake Paul opponent and he didn't have the surname Fury, people would watch footage of him and go, well, he's obviously like it could be like one of the KSI opponents that are technically a boxer, and they go, "Well, yeah." I mean, look at yeah. This guy. No, you're absolutely right. The um, 
I certainly wasn't making uh, the case that Fury's logic is correct. It was more that just that he actually seemed like he actually believed what he was saying. It's the first time I've actually seen that from him. Other than it, other than that, it's a really, really bad Tyson Fury impression, um, which is just it's just so so weak and so obvious that you're not that guy and you don't believe it. But the fact that he actually seemed to be backing himself a little bit made me think, okay, maybe maybe he will. But uh, he. Let's face it, maybe he'll come out and show us actually this whole time he's been a good boxer and just hasn't got the fights. He hasn't been living the life, so therefore we haven't been able to see it. But it would, make no mistake about it, it would be something we've never seen before because if he's anything like he has been in his other fights, then Jake Paul will do him and he'll be embarrassed. Yeah, because I don't know how it's going to go if he can just punch through Paul's chin. Like I don't know how that's going to happen. I've seen him punch against Journeyman and I've not backed his power too much, but there's a difference there, obviously, in terms of what these guys are used to taking. Yeah. I know these things are got wrong sometimes. I do have to assume when you look at the matchmaking that's been done for Jake Paul so far, and it's been done near perfect, I'm assuming they've seen something in there that says... We're very confident. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Because the fact that he has, you know, third bite of the cherry now at the Fury fight. I know the Fury name, but Tommy Fury obviously isn't a big name in the US. And it, look, he's a he's obviously a, a big name here via mainly Love Island. But he's not like that big. I mean, even over here, I think uh, a Jake Paul-Nate Diaz fight probably gets more traction. Maybe similar, if that worse. And obviously a lot more stateside. And probably... You know, you, you've got more upside in terms of if you beat Nate, it's a bigger name, and probably less downside if you if he goes wrong. You say, "Well, look, Nate's game; he's a scrapper." Whereas if you lose to Tommy Fury, it's a bit. Uh, I guess I know he can use it as look. That's a real boxer, but uh, we're all unconvinced by him. So I've always been a little bit fascinated yeah. by the fact that Jake Paul is adamant he wants his Tommy Fury fight. So yeah, yeah, you're probably right with how he's read it each time with his matchmaking so far. Maybe. He's seen something. I know. I know. There's a rematch clause in there for if Fury wins, as mm. you expect. Um, because if Fury wins, by the way, he can then, if it's comprehensive, beat Jake Paul again, and then he'll get the KSI fight. Who will try and prove that, you know, I'm better than him, and he'll get a, a massive bank bankroll there yeah. as well. Yeah, it's true. Um, I don't even know what the team is that Tommy Fury has around him. If he had. Peter in his corner, then I'd be fairly like, okay, because I don't think he would take any messing about. I think he, Savannah Marshall's been slagging him off today, by the way. I don't know if you've said, but yeah, the, the, the setup around Jake Paul feels far more serious, regardless of what you say about him as a character. We've seen more from him. He's just showing more dedication to it, hasn't he? For all the talk about, you know, yeah. Tommy Fury's a real boxer. Why, if you were to go by the last few years, there's only one of these two that's a real boxer, quote-unquote. Because you, you never know. When you see something like... Uh, so he was sparring with a Coley, wasn't he? And you see that, and it's like, okay, well, a, a Coley's not going to be setting out there to try and no. punch holes in him. But he's also not going to be taking any shit from him. He's going to be probably doing a semi combative sparring session in the way he moves around the ring. He's probably going to tag him a few times, let him know who he is, and he's probably going to be surprised with what he gets back. And even just testing himself 
even have the belief, I guess, to get in there with him. Because if he didn't prove his worth in there, then if you're Lawrence O'Coley, for example, you're going to have 18 cameras in there and you're going to get the one clip from a snide angle of you putting him on his ass. And that's you've done. You can sell that wherever the hell you want. And you're the guy yeah, who's made him look a fool. Um, everyone he seems to have gone in there with, unless there are all yes men, seems to speak very highly about his dedication and the level he fights at. It'd be interesting know. to see um, something. That... Be interesting to see with the weighing because I would have thought one of Fury's better chances was that um, I do think Paul is slowly getting into better boxing shape. When you look at him, big muscular guy, and he does look like he sort of yeah. would gas out in a fight, in a real tough fight. It would, but then on the flip side, against Journeyman, I think Tommy Fury's looked a bit gassed. So, and yeah. this is a a weight that is probably a little bit more suited to Paul. He's going to have to come down a little bit again. So he's probably going to be a slightly better nick. It's going to be higher than Fury's fought at previously because he normally fights a light heavy. So yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. More rounds as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is not great. And ad- not a great advert for Tommy Fury's career so far that an eight rounder is seen as maybe no. extended himself. No, I think if Fury loses on the cards, it's going to be able to fix. If he's knocked out, it's going to be a bad stoppage. And all Fury really has to do, I mean, he needs to win really, but if he has it even remotely close, there is, there's a contingent of people that are so desperate to see Jake Paul lose that they're going to say it's a robbery anyway. So he just has to be competitive. I think. I've seen a lot of people uh, go in, it's going to be a draw, isn't it? And then doing the side eyes emoji, like they've just cracked. Like the Da Vinci goes, like, cheers, <laughs> yeah. geniuses. That's, no one's really watching this fight. So if it is corrupt, then our oh, word won't get out. Yeah, we'll see how we go. But I think that does us for today. So thank you for listening to another edition of the Spitballing Pod. We'll be back. Movie Madness round three, season four this weekend. We'll be going through four of the matchups, me and Keenan with the usual sequel ideas, nitpicks, those kind of things before we get deeper into the bracket. So thank you again for listening. We'll be back. Adios.